Happy Wednesday morning, everyone. Welcome back to Kafaru Cast. Uh, Frank the Tank is homesick. He's got streptococcus from what the doctor said. Uh, but we got our good friend, uh, Harold Farenbrook, in the house. Thanks for coming down again, Harold. Hey, a pleasure. How, how'd you hang in there with all the uh, flat brims and skinny jeans down at the Western Hunt Expo? Actually, it went really well. Um, it was a good crowd. I think it was a, they had, I think, uh, an increase of people from last year to this year, like about 30%. So they were real happy with that. Uh, we missed you being down there. You had some complications, couldn't make it down there. But um, uh, they uh, they just turned things around, and um, it worked out well anyways. We uh, all kind of shared some time to, to grab that time, and... Um, and I think it went really well. Oh, that's the that was the uh, C, uh, Colorado Traditional Archers. I was talking about the Western Hunt Expo because you went oh. down there as well. Oh yeah, that that amazing show, amazing kind of money that is spent on hunts. It uh, there was like, well, like for an example, the the antelope hunt on this antelope mountain for mule deer. That tag went for three hundred ten thousand dollars to shoot a mule deer. Yeah, that is crazy to to me, probably to you as well. <laughs> oh, Jesus. The, the money, uh, anything that had to do with mule tag, they were going higher than the desert sheep and the bighorn rams that uh, were being auctioned off. The mule deer tags were going way higher than sheep tags. You talking about the antelope island sheep tag? Yeah. Yeah, they're the antelope island mule deer tag. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, I can't remember, Do you, did they say what size a deer got taken off there last year with that tag? They had the picture up there, and it looked like a... Looked like a, a deer that was rubbing 200 inches. At, yeah. Uh, not that they had a hunter that was holding out or whatever. Who knows who buys those tags? Um, but they, uh, I mean, it's right there out of Salt Lake. Five minutes out of Salt Lake is that mountain. And the only p- people that get a hunt it are the people that buy an auction tag. There is no, a resident can't just put in for the unit and, and draw a tag. It is 100% only if you get this auction tag. Yeah, and I there was three years ago, the guy that bought it, he lives here, or maybe four, and he asked, I was going to go, he's going to fly me down there with him, and I was like, man, I'm not your your guy, because I just, I'm not, I haven't been around 220-inch mule deer enough to start picking them apart, you right. know, I said, I'll be fun to hang out with, but I'm, you know, you can find a better guy than me, and he he paid two something for it so it's significantly more now, uh, uh, if it went for three something, <laughs> Jesus, that's crazy, 300,000. Yeah. But how, uh, yeah, how did CTAS go? I ended up having to do some stuff down, well, whatever, just military crap, but did that go pretty well? Yeah, they bridged that gap. I think I had 45 minutes. Uh, Dave Hoff had 45 minutes, and Clinky had 45 minutes, but then when we had that extra time that you had, um, then mine went to like an hour and a half. Uh, Dave Hoff went to an hour and a half, and Marv Clinky's did the 45 minutes in the evening. So it all turned out, instead of all three of us doing it in the morning, you do it in the evening. Uh, just me and Dave did it in the morning and uh, Marv did it in the evening. So yeah. it all worked out. I know I called Hoff. I said, dude, I, I'm hunting too much. I'm like, I hunted nine days if um, and, and I was supposed to do some work while I was down there. And I'm like, if I go home now and don't do any work after hunting nine days, it's probably not going to be good. He was cool about it. I'm, Scott was probably pissed off at me. but No, there was no uh, hard feelings from what I gathered. Cool. No, that was good. Um, I did get to go shoot a lot of stuff, so that was the, the bonus. And I got a suntan, um, and we went bass fishing, so it was nice when I was down there. Holy cow. Yeah. <laughs> it had been harder to come back, no doubt. I didn't shoot an alligator, though. Um, it uh, We had like an 11.5-footer, you know, 18, 20 yards in front of us, but we didn't— um, uh, we didn't, we didn't get the landowner tag. Uh-huh. Um, so 
I don't know, try to make it happen next year. I shot a bunch of pigs, a bunch of whitetails. But. I got just the opposite of that. When I went to Florida, my daughter had a volleyball tournament down there, and uh, we landed in Orlando. And before I left, because I knew all her tournaments were in the morning, so I, I call ahead, called the Chamber of Commerce and got the DOW and said, hey, I know you got a lot of state land down there. I want to go hunt pigs. My, wife, my daughter's going to be down here anyways. And they're like, well, we really don't want you to hunt the state land but you can but we got tons of private landowners calling us with crop damage and rooting and stuff like that so would you mind hunting private property like yeah (laughs) yeah okay that's a no-brainer yeah and uh they they uh lined me up with this private land individual and it really worked out well because it got off on a bad foot when i picked up my luggage i have a dozen and a half wood arrows and somebody shoved their foot right through them so every single solitary one of my wood arrows was broken and I, I can't help but think that was in, on purpose because yeah. I had a I, they they had to take him out to do it, and uh, so I'm like I ain't gonna go hunting. I'm pissed off. I called Bass Pro down there, and they they went jumped through hoops. And of course, all my broadheads were glue on broadheads, so yeah. I couldn't even use the glue. And they set me up a, a dozen, dozen and a half, two dozen arrows, carbon arrows with broadheads. And let me walk out the door and didn't charge me a penny. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, they really came together. I went went ahead and met this guy. He ended up being my best friend. We ended up, we still changed Christmas cards. But you can imagine Florida, they never in a drought. It was five, six months with no rain. And when I got there, the whole thing's like a forest. And they couldn't get to no pigs because all the pigs go in those low areas that typically water's in. So I get there, and there now there's like five inches of rain a day. And um, ruined my daughter's time there. But, of course, it was all indoor volleyball. But I get there, and all these pigs are shoved out of the bottoms. I'm walking there, walking around on my hands and knees in this tall grass, acting like a pig, shooting one. Shooting my first 45 minutes, I shot nine pigs. Not because I'm a good shot. I never had a shot further than 10 yards, but they were out of the bottom. They haven't even seen a human for five months. They were no way suspicious or scared. We're picking up all the pigs, and it's getting close to night. Well, it is night by the time we get to the last ones. And I'm like, I know I had a pig laying over here. And we shined the spotlight over there. And sure as heck, there's a pair of eyes there. And he goes, well, that's not pig eyes. That's Were they orange? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we go over there. And here's this like 10-footer. And the landowner's right there. And he goes, hey, you want to shoot this? I go, I don't know. What? And he's like, I normally sell these landowner tags for $500. I know he gets a lot more for them than that than the outfitter as far as selling hunts. But I'm, I'm, I mean, I'll sell you one right now. I mean, this is a no-brainer. This is a giant alligator. And he had the pig in his mouth, and he kept on just rolling, doing summers, not somersaults, but just rolling on his side, up and down, up and down, with us standing right next to him, five feet away. And he's just got his pig in his mouth. He's just rolling. Yeah. And I just, at the time, I'm like, God, all I got to do is stand right here and shoot him between the eyes. I mean, there's no, I like a little bit of a challenge. Yeah. And I just had no mindset. So I, I, I declined the offer we didn't, and he got my pig and so I ended up with eight pigs instead of nine. <laughs> but he, uh, um, later I found out that they're dang good eating and I could have sold the, the skin, some of the meat and made triple my money for $500. So kind of like that, I'd like to have done it just to say I've done it also after that. That they, uh, told me, because it's just different ponds on this land that they'll stay in or hang out. And, you know, they said the biggest shit show is if you don't make a good shot. It's a, it's an all-day event. Like, if you don't put it where it's supposed to be, there's going to be some grappling hooks and nooses and shit involved and potentially the gunshots. And... To the, yeah, they yeah. were like, you better hit it good. Um, but it, it was fun. I mean, it was good. I shot a decent whitetail. Um, yeah, I saw the picture of that. That was a nice bug, especially for Alabama. Yeah, it... Um, funny it's like a dwarf uh the body you know i shot 
and uh, I actually ended up, I shot it and hit it. I hit it high the first arrow. And so I was trying to hit it, but it was spinning in circles. I ended up emptying my whole damn quiver trying to get another arrow in it. And I finally got my last one in it, climbed down because we were going to clean off my broadheads. So I was going to shoot does. And <laughs> I sharpened up some up in the tree and uh, a doe came in and I shot it. But when I drug the deer out of the way, it was just not, it just looked little, right? I'm uh -huh. like, Jesus, that's, and then I drug it and I'm like, yeah, it's little. And <laughs> it ended up being uh, literally like a dwarf is 140 pounds my buck last year was 208 so it was just a little deer and it was old but it made the rack look a lot bigger and if you look at my body size in that photo to the body of this year's buck and last year's it's just a short dwarf midget I'll be body there, huh? deer so yeah but uh but man we we're gonna well we we're gonna tell hunting stories here in a little bit but you wanted to go over some of the regulations for 2019 uh because all the, the the books came out yeah some of the changes well, the real quick review I have, uh, if anybody has theirs in the mail, typically, you know, uh, Colorado does a mailing and sends out all the brochures. Uh, they're always complaining about not having no money, but uh, I put in for, you know, six other states and nobody mails me my brochure. Uh, so they can save a lot of money with that as well. But at any rate, uh, with that said, they have a deal now as if you've looked at your regs, you know, page one of the regulations kind of gives a brief description of, you know, what, what the new changes were. And the biggest thing that I saw that was, well, it's not necessarily a typo, but they're trying to give you the illusion. We're down there where it says preference points. It's like an inch and a half gray area there, and it kind of shows what they were charging everybody last year, 2018. Residents, $40 for elk and $30 for deer and antelope and bear. Non-residents, 40 for everything. Now this year, 2019, which by the way, nobody paid for a preference point last year. Um, you didn't pay for preference points. Uh, so this year, um, residents, they're excluding deer, elk, antelope, and bear. No preference points. Uh, they're not gonna charge you for preference points. But with, with uh, uh, they're gonna charge residents $50 per species. So for, and, I mean, for uh, sheep, goat, and moose, it's going to be fifty dollars to get a, a weighted point. Each, yeah, each for each, each species. So that's one hundred fifty dollars. As a non-resident, it's a hundred dollars per weighted point. So my point being, especially the way Colorado does things, as a non-resident, especially, you're going to spend three hundred dollars a year if you put in for all three of our big three, um, and then you're going to spend a total of $900 over three years before you're even in the system. So you're going to pay close to $1,000. And when it's all said and done, you got your buy your small game license anyways, because this year is the first year they're making you buy a small game license, which they needed to do. Yeah. Um, you're going to spend $1,000 a year for three years. I mean, $400 a year for three years. So you're going to have $1,200 into it before you're even eligible to be in the draw because you got to have three preference points to be eligible and then from that point on they call it a weighted point so anybody that's familiar with this and you got weighted points a lot of people I hear out there say hey I got 20 points I got this I got that I go no you don't you have three preference points you, everything after that is a weighted point which have 100% of zero value they have no value when I say that I guess I say it loosely if you look in the regs um, and in the small print, you can navigate for the, through the Colorado Division of Wildlife. And if you call in, they're very helpful about walking you through how to navigate through. But let's say you want to put in a particular unit for moose. You can navigate through there and you can find 
exactly how many people put in, what the amount of preference points they had that, that they came in with, or weighted points, and what it took to draw the tags, like moves where I put in, they have four tags. And the example of mine was, I have max weighted points. I got three plus 19. Three, what, three preference points, 19 weighted. People that drew the four tags last year, the area that I put in for, had three plus one, three plus three, three plus six, and three plus seven. So not even a quarter of what I have, everybody drew. So then you go to other units just to kind of fish around and whatnot, have other friends that put in as well. Well, what'd you put in for? And I, I look at their units. So across the board, once you get past five, maybe six weighted points, they, I guarantee you they have no value. They do nothing for you. So if you have five or six weighted points, don't throw your money away. Don't pay $50 per species for a weighted point. They, it does nothing for you. It has no value. Um, and Leo's that's, in the same boat. I think he's got three and 18 or three and three 20, and 19, 19 if he has max. Yeah. 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 He does. And he didn't draw and he had the same kind of thing going on, uh, for moose with yeah. him. Yeah. And so, um, a good friend of ours, uh, Justin Davis, um, his son drew with three point three plus zero, same unit I put in for, and I got three plus 19. So, I mean, they just it, don't buy any. It's a, it's a total waste of money. Um, and the other thing, as far as Colorado DOW goes, they're complaining about not making money. They're making these changes. I don't think any of us care that we have to pay a little more for an elk tag, deer tag, this, that, and the other. I mean, we, as long as the money goes to a good cause, and I'm not really got the validation of where this money goes. Everything I can see online from their website goes to fix dams, levees, things like that. It really has nothing to do with hunting that I can find on their site, but maybe I'm just not looking in the right spot. So I'm not sure this money, where it's going. But if you... It, Colorado, like I said, I put in for six other states. Every state you put in for that has limited draws, not like Idaho, which is an over, which is just a total lottery system. New Mexico, total uh, lottery system, no preference points. But I'm talking about states that have limited draws. Uh, Kansas, where you put in for whitetail, or Montana, or where you, or um, Arizona, Nevada, Utah. Every one of those charge you for preference points. The lowest being $20 per preference point. No matter what, you have to buy a preference point, no matter what you got by the small game license. And finally, this year, they're making people buy a small game license. But we're still the only state in the United States that has a limited draw system that is not charging for deer, elk, antelope, and bear, a preference point. And so don't go crying out there where we're not making no money. That's why we made it this way, because it's costing us too much money to, you know, send everybody their checks out and that kind of stuff. It's like, boo-hoo. I mean, God, use your common sense. Talk to your neighbors what they're doing out there. I mean, why are we not charging for preference points? Why are we not averaging preference points to get people more people to use their points so they're not in the system, so we don't have people out there with 30 preference points, people out there with 25, 20, whatever, and then given the illusion of this hybrid tag, which is even harder to draw than winning the Colorado lottery. So you, you need to pull your, I wouldn't say pull your heads out. I don't want to burn any bridges here, but you need to just start listening to the people that are sending you emails, such as myself, trying to talk to people and, and, and it's, it's validated. It, it, these conversations are not brought up in Nevada. They're not brought up in Arizona because they're, they're, they're happy with it. 
it works. Right. And all you talk about in Colorado and people to put in for Colorado is how screwed up Colorado's preference point system is, and they just refuse to do anything about it. So that's kind of what I had to say with that. And as far as the bighorn sheep, uh, we heard on you heard on previous podcasts that uh, Aaron and I have done is uh, um, that uh, archery season last year was eleven days shorter than the rifle season for sheep, and this year it's nine days shorter. Uh, so um, we're going to be filing, I guess, a citizens' petition and seeing why. You know, I'm not asking for more days but I'm asking for equal days. And like we've said before, where are you going to grab that? Well, they're going to grab it, in my mind, in July, because bighorn sheep, they're not rutting. They're not in the velvet. When I'm scouting for bighorn sheep, I'm scouting for them in July all the way up to my season, and I'm hunting them in the same areas that I was when I was scouting them in July. So it's not like they're in different areas. So they have, I don't know what their excuse would be, not giving us start the season a week early, nine days early or 11 days early, to try to match the rifle. And then the excuse they have, well, we don't want to overlap archery sheep with archery deer and elk. Well, as we all know, the elk keep getting higher and higher. We're hunting above alpine with them. The mule deer, there's not a more kick-in-the-ass mule deer hunt than above timberline. So would I rather share the woods with a bow hunter hunting bighorn sheep with me with a bow hunting elk or deer? DOW thinks we would rather hunt with a rifle sheep hunter at the same time as archery deer and elk. I mean... It makes no sense. I mean, right now we're sharing the woods with high altitude buck, rifle season, deer and bow season. You got wildlife for ranching, rifle season, deer and bow season. You got black bear season, rifle, deer and bow season. You got black powder, deer and bow season. I mean, can you even give us a week with no banging going on in the woods? I mean, uh, I think this needs to be revisited. We've gone all over and over and over with it. And um, yeah, make some phone calls. I. I don't feel like I'm standing alone, but um, the, the reason these podcasts is getting a lot of attention and I get a lot of emails from people, Facebook, whatnot, people I haven't heard from. So I know there's a lot of people on board, but we need to kind of show our concerns um, and, you know, call the DOW and, and say, hey, what what's going on with this? Um, it helps me get in the door as far as them looking at my emails, uh, having meetings and things like that and, and uh, seeing if we can't put this to rest. So that's pretty much all I had to say with the with the new regs that are out. Yeah, the one thing that um, I, I'm surprised with on this, especially from all the feedback, or uh, it is the you know you don't have a lot of alone time in the woods, just archery to archery. You know, you don't. You've got a lot of you know right in the middle of generally in the peak of the rut, you have muzzleloader season, which is kind of a pain in the ass to deal with. Um, and I don't have anything against muzzleloaders. That high country buck hunt can be a bad deal for uh, a guy with a bow. And I don't know if you've ever had to deal with that, but, you know, if you've got a, you know, if you've got a 200 inch deer spotted and you're above tree line and, and we're getting within 50 yards, you know, that deer's going to die that moment that season starts uh, on that high country buck hunt. Cause you're, you're, t- you get a rifle during bow season above tree line and it's, pretty much the biggest bucks get taken out of the cream of the crop get taken out of any of those units in that season in in my opinion which i'm not you know totally i kind of wish they'd shit can that season obviously from a bow hunting perspective um or make one specific unit where it's high country buck or something because 
the biggest deer of that unit are going to get killed. Not the biggest, but potentially the biggest deer of that unit are going to get killed during that season in the high country because they're in, up in their alpine home and they're super easy to kill. Uh, I mean, I don't know. What do you think about that? Uh, I agree. I have nothing against rifle hunting. I mean, just to get that straight. Um, I mean, I reload for my whole family and my my daughter rifle hunts, my wife rifle hunts. I mean, zero against rifle hunting. And we absolutely have to have it to reach the numbers we need to, to, you know, get the harvest, you know, the harvest that we need to. But with that said, it would be nice to have uh, uh, some kind of an area where they give us that first week in October or they give us the f- last week in September uh, of July, I mean, sorry, August, to where there's no other season, even start deer season a week before the elk start. So I can get in those woods, I can get above Timberline a week before any seasons are up there. Even I don't want to have to have to contend with high altitude guys that are hunting elk above Timberline. For the deer hunters, we've, we've gone over this before. Steve Hildy was in here, and they got a proposition to kind of go to, to give, let me hunt above Timberline that third week in August for a whole week before elk even starts. And then that way, what would I have to complain about? Man, I got the whole world to myself for these high-altitude bucks. Which most people don't have more than a week off anyway. So, I mean, yeah. a week is perfect. And it... it um as we're talking about, and I'm going, so a lot of this, what I'm saying is off of a lot of emails I've gotten. Because we pissed off, I say we, I pissed off a bunch of people on the last, well, not a bunch. I got five complaints. I mean, they're all nice to me now. We talked, they basically said I was being a whiny bitch because I wanted 10% of the tax go to out-of-state hunters. Um, oh, and, the whole out-of-state thing, yeah. Yeah, and that they got, and I'm like, well... Guys, it is my home state. I'm, would you rather me lie like all these other people on podcasts? At least I'm telling you the truth. I could feed you shit publicly and then, you know, do something privately. But when you're on these different, um, you know, different hunts, the problem with big deer, for the most part, you kind of get one shot at a deer that's five, six years old. Um, you know, you might get a couple shots at them, but generally they're not hanging out. Uh, for too long in that high country before it's it'll get pretty difficult to find them. you can't blow them out too much so with a with a, a stick bow especially but a compound or a trad bow um you're really getting screwed when a guy rolls in there with a gun and i don't have any issue with gun hunters at all they are just going to shoot the biggest deer that are living above tree line if they have any kind of hunting skills whatsoever. So I, I would be all for having that first week alone um, with, a, with a bow in the hand. Well, it'd, be a, it'd be a win-win. It would satisfy guys like Aaron, I, and everybody that's listening in regards to having a week by yourself the last week in August. And then you would, then we'd also don't change a thing for the, the high altitude buck guys because they're guaranteed they're not giving a shit less if there's a bow hunter up there because they know they're going to kill it before the bow hunter ever gets in range anyway. So it's not going to affect them whether the bow hunters are up there or not. So it's a win win. You ain't going to have a bunch of whiny guys like me and Aaron, you know, looking to have, you know, just we just want a week to ourselves in the woods. And we have right now at this point, we have none. Um, so. It's just uh, uh, a common courtesy thing and a, and a, and a non-prejudice um, thing to allow bow hunters to have a little more say and kind of give a, a few more wants to the bow hunter that, that we've been asking for for all these years. Um, it's um, I think it's only fair. You know, we just had Chris Rowe on the podcast. He's got a he's a biologist, um, but he was he made some good points about bow hunting. Is the I, I'd be interested to see the total numbers, but bow hunting is the only thing growing 
Um, mm-hmm. Rifle hunting is not. Bow hunting is growing exponentially that it didn't make a whole lot of sense to, to kind of handicap the one aspect of the, the outdoor industry or the sport uh, that is growing in numbers. And I would I would like to see the numbers, but I would believe that. It seems like bow hunting is getting way more um, highlights and attention uh, than it has in the past. And there certainly seems to be a hell of a lot more numbers of people in the woods because of that it, during bow season. And that's his personal experience. I'll guarantee you there's more bull hunters in the woods than I've ever seen before. Um, and getting back to what, you know, Aaron was kind of getting a little heat from um, from another podcast we did as far as non-residents and saying we should, you know, have 10%. I mean, I think we ought to at least have caps um, with with the amount of non-residents that come to this state and not have a total 100% invitation to come here. Colorado's breaking its rules all the times with the amount of non-residents that are going to allow in a unit. Um, I mean, for example, they're supposed to have, you know, at least 10 tags in a unit to allow a non-resident in it. Look at all the moose. Look at all the sheep tags that they got. Uh, it, it just shouldn't be happening, you know. Um, and you know, like Arizona, max that can go to that state as a non-resident is not to exceed ten percent. It doesn't guarantee non-residents ten percent of the tags. It's just not to exceed ten percent. So what I mean by that, there's five tags available for a unit, and all the names pulled out of the hat or pulled out of the hat are residents first. Then it's that unit goes to 100% residents. No non-residents get a tag in that unit, so it's not to exceed 10%. Well, then you got New Mexico. It doesn't. That 3% is max non-resident tags for the whole state of New Mexico for every species. 3%. Colorado we're averaging right around that 40, 45% go to non-residents. I mean, come on. I mean, you. No wonder we have that. It's an open invitation and. And the, and the biologists and the game wardens, yeah, they're kind of, I mean, in my mind, they're kind of messing me up a little bit. I have no problem, like we just talked about, seeing more bow hunters. I think it's an awesome sport, and I, I personally try to get people into the sport. So I'm not knocking that, but what I am kind of knocking is when I'm back in there 10, 12 miles in an area that I've been going to uh, with personal friends that I know have hunting ethic, they're not going to go there unless I take them there. It might be national forest, but there's that unwritten rule that if somebody invites you to go somewhere, you don't go back there unless you go with them. And you sure as heck don't take your friends and act like it's your spot because that burns bridges and loses friendships. So the areas that I used to go is is now I see other people there. Like, what the heck's going on? Who told them about this? And if they found it by themselves, you know, and with technology today between Hunt Onyx, Google Earth, all those kind of things, you can be smarter and know where you're going before you even get there. I, I'm i old school. I had to do it with seven-minute topo maps and just kind of look at the map, study it, and say, man, that looks like a marsh area back in here. That could be a good place for wallows. It's like one, two, three, four, six, whatever, nine miles from the road. That's going to get me away from everybody. You know, I'm going to go in there and take a peek at it. Sometimes it was a void country, or sometimes I hit the jackpot. Well, right now with Google Earth and Han Onyx, you can see the whole world. But when I walk over to that guy and say, hey, introduce myself, you know, whatever, and he's done his homework and he's busted his balls and he's got there, he, without him even knowing, he knows he's got a new best friend because I know he earned it, he worked for it, and if he kills something back in there, it's going to go on my back as well as his. But if I go in there and it's because somebody told him about it, yeah, um, it's a whole different mindset. I'm like, are you kidding me? 
Well, I, you know, I'm going to bring up something Rogan said that made absolutely no sense. Um, he didn't understand why it was a big deal of people kind of stealing other people's spots. Like, hey, it's public land. And it's like, well, one reason is he's never had to bleed for a spot. He's never had to sweat for a spot. He's never had to. Do, Perfect goes, example. Bleed for a spot. Do and, your homework. Yeah. And um, a couple of spots you and I have talked about, about specific animals, that is, is it turns out you and I had both you know, been back there. I, I knew what you went through to get back there. And, and so I was like, holy shit, I can't believe he saw that thing too. Cause there's only a couple other people I even know I seen that one was a hiker. Um, so you, you know, you talk about that, but then you find out as time goes on, some people find out about this by watching a hunting video or seeing a photo and then they Google earth the hell out of it and they circle around, they figure out where you're at one that doesn't make sense to me, because why would you want to go hunt by me? I'm already in there hunting. Like that, it seems like you'd want to find a spot where no one's at. And then two, they'll go in there, and this happened at David Long, for example, mule deer guy. And then they tell their friends, I found out where David's hunting. I was in there and I saw him. And their friends tell their friends, and then pretty soon there's 40 people in one basin that has six deer. It's just not good. I mean, there's nothing right. good about that. Well, there's people go as far as there's even I've seen some um, some stuff on you know the internet on how you can find out where some of these high end people are hunting. Um, I'm not high end, so I don't have to worry about it. But like the Randy Olmers out there and things like that. I mean, in Colorado, all you really got to do is kind of you know Google somebody's name. So let's call Randy's out there and find out his birth date. Well, when you got that guy's birth date, and then you're fi- trying to find out what units he's putting in for, and you got his name and all that kind of stuff, you can navigate good enough to find out where he drew that tag. Yeah. And then now you say, oh, shoot, well, Randy's hunting there. I'm hunting there. I mean, look at the mules he's pulling out of this. The difference is there's not a guy out there that I think can hold a candle to Randy in the the amount of miles that guy's put on his feet, how many boots he's wore out, how many knives he's spent out just in his uh, rain gear. Um, he is 100% full on, one of the toughest dudes I've ever met. And he he's gonna find that big buck because he's gonna live with that big buck. Um, but, and he, and he finds big bucks. And when you finally find the unit that he put in for, it's like, God, I can draw this every other year. Yeah. Um, it's not like a high-end unit where, because you think, I mean, if you had any brain cells, you'd say, well, guy's killing these 200-plus-inch bucks every year. You know, it's got to be, you know, this unit. It's got to be this unit. Well, if you look at those units, it takes 10, 15 years to draw a tag. So, obviously, it's not those units. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, unless, you know, you bought landowner tags or things like that, which, if you do your research, he's not doing that as well. So, um, he's he's making it happen in low-profile units that are still holding big bucks. And there's not a low-profile unit out there that doesn't have a 200-inch buck in it if you look hard enough. No, you're right, and and there is. I mean, some of them are obviously going to be more difficult to kill than others, or some of them may be. Yeah, just I because mean, of the habitat, yeah, but they're there. They're there, yeah, and I would agree with that. Colorado, uh, Wyoming uh, especially, like you will find them. With all the, <laughs> the last couple podcasts we've done, it has caused a lot of people, I think, one to think. Like the one guy who's a friend now, he said, I, was, I mean, he literally texted me, you're being a crybaby bitch. And uh, I said, well, look, it's funny to me, one, that you're being a crybaby bitch telling me I'm being a crybaby bitch. Uh-huh. And I said, two, I have to be professional in the position I'm in, but if we see each other, I'm going to take that, like you said it, to my face because you can have an adult conversation. And he, 
I'm not going to say his name, but he was like, hey, look, I just want to come out and hunt out west every year. I'm like, well, do you want to come hunt or do you want to have a good hunt? Because what I'm talking about is having a good hunt, not going hunting. Because if you're bow hiking, I'll leave the bamboo at home or I'll go stump shooting and go fishing instead. Like, I want to have a good quality hunt for everyone, not just me, but including me. And if that means caps for over-the-counter units and it's for the greater good of your hunt and you can only hunt every other year, but you're you double your chances or more of, of harvesting an animal. At least having a parking spot. Yeah, exactly. I think that's a good idea. And yeah, it's of course it's biased. I want to hunt and kill big shit too or go, you know, have a good experience. But there's multiple other states out there that you can go hunt in as well. Colorado just has, seems to me, has more out-of-state hunters than, than anywhere else. And I get it, but I think it's hard for those people to to kind of flip the script a little bit because there's, if a guy's coming from... Iowa. Uh-huh. There is no, well, I say no. There's not, I always have someone message me and say there is public land. Okay, I'm being general. There's not a lot of public land in Iowa. Right. And so, but let's imagine that 70% of Iowa is public land. Well, if you had the choice, would you want me there and 4,000 other people trying to hunt public land in Iowa, or would you maybe want to thin the herd a little bit and, and cater to a better hunt rather than a hunt? And I mean, the days of, well, you haven't been on the hunt high country mule deer in what, probably ten years? Well, it's been guiding, guiding in Alaska, yeah. So the days of twenty, thirty bucks in a basin are pretty much gone. It just doesn't happen anymore. That's it, you can find it, but before the snow in 07 and 08, there's one specific unit. You could shoot a hundred and fifty, sixty inch deer off the trail and get into decent elk. Um, shortly after deer came draw and uh and shoot a decent elk. That winter hurt things. But also, if you go back, Eastman's did that stupid-ass blue-chip unit deal and mm-hmm. then the hunting fool, and then you're fucked, right? You're not having a good hunt anymore. There's still big deer in that unit, like you said. I'm not going to mention the unit because mm-hmm. it'll fuck it up again. But you have to work harder. You have to hike more. You have to deal with more people. And then you start throwing in the gun seasons involved and muzzleloader seasons. Yeah, you got to work pretty damn hard to kill one with a bow anymore. Yeah, and you you say you know you're being biased. I don't think you are being biased. I don't think that's the right word. Um, when you're willing to sacrifice, you know, hunting every other year rather than every year, or you're willing to even you know every third year a hunt. I mean, you're still. But when you got a tag. You're excited about it. You're not like, God, where can I go that I'm not going to be bumping into other people? You're not thinking that way. You're thinking about where am I going to go to find deer? That's what you're thinking. And, you know, Arizona, you get a tag in Arizona, I don't care what unit you draw, you got a quality hunt because they manage their hunters as well as managing their game. Colorado, they are continually doing nothing but this massacre in the herds to get at this fictional number of, of whatever they pull out of the hat, say, okay, this is our objective. We want to kill this many deer, this many elk. And then they go in there and slaughter the shit out of them. I guess when they do these surveys, they're calling a bunch of hunters and saying, hey, what, what, do you have any complaints? Yeah, I saw too many fucking elk this year. There's yeah, just I, too many of them out there. I can't believe that happens. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, why would, nobody complains about having seen too many elk. Nobody complains about seeing too many deer. I mean, but the DOW is constantly trying to reduce those herds down to the point that you're never going to say that. Yeah, no, that's a fact. You know, you base things off of... Um Oh, let the NWT and the Yukon in comparison to Alaska. You don't have on sheep hunts and, and moose and whatever in the Yukon, you don't really have competition, right? You don't, 
You don't have to rush to a stock or, you know, you know, you're not going to have other hunters there where Alaska you do um, in some units. Anyway, you're going to have, you know, more competition um, from public access, obviously, and, and other hunters and everything else, depending upon, you know, what what unit it is. Um, when you look at something like, well, let's look at the Wasatch Front. People kill big deer in the Wasatch Front in Utah. It is like Mortal Kombat mule deer hunting i mean you literally are fighting over shit like it's insane um i don't want colorado to turn into mortal combat mule deer and elk hunting i would rather and if i don't get to hunt every year and it's got to be every other year and, and and you know rotate things around i would much rather have a bull on my wall every other year than a shit show every year and that's just i for me i'm not speaking for everyone it just makes more sense to me that way and it's getting harder and harder to do that. Well, there's two steps to it they got to look at. Not only do you have to manage your animals, you got to manage your hunters. And it can both be done at the same time. Colorado's missing the boat on that. They don't manage their hunters at all. Uh, so, uh, when I say that, I'm saying, you know, the over-the-counter tags, the over-the-counter units. Um, the only way you're going to manage that is have caps. And you're, and you're, and it's, it's going to be... I mean, I don't know how you're going to do it, but the other th- they've created a, a mountain of problem by allowing the amount of people that come here in the first place as, a, as, a, as opposed to all our surrounding states and the numbers that they allow. And it's only going to get worse in Colorado, well, until we introduce wolves. Because um, all the states that like Wyoming and Montana and stuff like that, they got multiple units that are shut down because the wolves have just decimated the populations in those areas. And as well as Alaska, Alaska is losing a lot of uh, uh, hunting area too because of, of what's going on. So Colorado, because they got, you know, we got certain people with a lot of money, not necessarily influence, but emotion and money will kick the shit out of biology and facts uh, yeah. any day of the week. Yeah. Um, so they got plenty of emotion and they got plenty of money. So I wouldn't be surprised to see wolves in Colorado. We see wolves in Colorado, then we're probably not going to have as many non-residents coming here because for the same reason, the non-residents ain't going to other states. They're just ain't, they just ain't enough deer to hunt. Yeah. Uh, talking about predators, we just released the podcast yesterday of uh, the one I did with Bart when I was on the, the cat hunt up there. And he's, you know, you and him as far as passion goes in some of this, he might... Uh, I had to get him calmed down on the podcast. He was talking about people, you know, voting that's never been in the woods. You know, he said, he just flat out said, you don't fucking get to vote. If you haven't been up here and seen what's going on, because we on that hunt, what eye opener for me is we had a, a mountain lion eat a bobcat when we were, we were, we were on the bobcat. And uh, while we were running the bobcat, a mountain lion ate it. Um, how fucking often do you see that? That's right? cool. That's, yeah. yeah. That's crazy. Uh, yeah. It shows you how many predators are up there. And then we had um, a couple links get in a fight where one went in with four legs, came out with three, where they kicked the shit out of each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and four to six packs of wolves, um, you know, in one, not that big area. You got black bear, you got grizzly, you got lynx, um, bobcat, and mountain lion, and wolves all in one spot. You know how many moose I saw when we were there? Oh, uh, the answer is obvious. Yeah. Well, and actually, I did see two. I saw two moves. Being fair, yeah, I saw two. Um, well, I saw fourteen wolves, and, I, and you're not supposed to see wolves, right? You were not running wolves with dogs. We just saw them. Uh-huh. Um, and then I shot. Well, I shot four animals in five days. Uh, three of them uh, being cats, right? And we had dogs, so. I had a lot of people, and I blame the meat eater and this new movement of eat what you kill for this. People asked if I ate the wolf. And I'm like, no, I didn't eat the Why would I eat the wolf? I didn't eat the tires on my car, and I'm not eating the wolf. That makes no sense. That You can get sick from eating wolf, from what I understand. 
I understand mountain lion's unbelievable. We ate that. Bobcat's great. Yeah. Uh, same with lynx. But, you know, some shit just needs to be killed for the greater good of the rest of the animals. And I had a lot of people. Bart was flipping out because he hadn't, you know, Bart knows social media, but he hadn't seen it like he did when I was up there where he saw some of the comments. And he's like, eat what you kill. What the fuck is wrong with these people? He's screaming at the phone. And I'm like, and he kept saying, I'm blaming meat eater. Like, I understand when I say that's kind of a joke. But right, right, right. the meat eater is really good about getting, I'm not bashing on the meat eater at all. He get, He's really good about, um, you know, obviously uh, people understanding hunting. I get that. But are all, are all, you don't treat all, if you don't treat pedophiles the same way, mass murderers as far as humans go, they get treated the same way. A wolf and a coyote, to me, are kind of mass murderers. They kill for the fun of it. And people that say that they don't, it's a fucking lie because I've found many animals partially eaten and rotting that the wolves killed and then didn't finish And walked off. away from it. And yeah. mountain lions are the same way. They yeah. kill for the fun of it. Like any, your house cat playing with a mouse for 45 yeah, minutes before he kills those it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they just keep coming in. Yep. Um, that's uh, a very good point. I mean, I've... Uh, uh, I don't know if that, <laughs> not to change the subjects, but uh, I mean, we, with the mountain lion thing, I mean, there's no reason, Colorado, we got the quotas. Um, they had an emergency black bear hunt up there in unit, I think 2931, Colorado-Utah border, because their, their fawn to, their doe to fawn ratio and their cow to calf ratio was plummeting. They went up there and they wiped out a bunch. They paid hunters to do it. I mean, they paid government people to do it rather than having a hunt season where Aaron and I would give our left nut to go hunt these black bear in the spring. They paid to have somebody do it just because of legislature and we can no way hunt bears in the spring. Well, now all those animals are coming back. Um, and the biggest mortality rate, and this comes off the website at the DOW, a mountain lion averages a deer a week. If she's a female with kittens, she can kill more than that because she's trying to train, train her kittens on how to kill. So you figure how many weeks are in a year, how many mountain lions are in this front range, and it's like, so you have quotas on mountain lions. That makes zero sense. Um, Nevada, you put in a tag there, they're begging you to buy a tag. Same with Arizona, same with anybody that has mountain lions, and they kill the same amount of mountain lions every year. It's not like, God, now we don't have no mountain lions. They kill twice, three times as many as Colorado ever thought about. Yeah, and I always say two and a half deer a month um, as an average for a mountain lion. Um, but, I mean, give or take, you know, talking to biologists and what I've seen, it's two and a half to four, I mean, a month, right? Yeah. And that's without kittens. So taking, not to interrupt you, with Bart, you would have shit your knickers, multiple packs of wolves up there. In a fucking one area. Oh, they're right in a search and destroy mission. That oh, was all. Jesus. I mean, and you're, you know, when you're running these animals, um, you're, you know, we've, you got to be careful because they'll get on those wolves. And so, you, you know, they'll eat the damn, the, the dogs right. will get on the wolves or the wolves will get on the dogs. But with, along with what you're saying is as far as quotas and everything else, the beauty of dogs is you can get out, you can measure the track, you can figure out before you, if you know what the fuck you're doing. Before, before you even you, cut loose. Yep. And and Bart was, and he went on, as, you know, he, he obviously showed me what he does. And so we just didn't let out on any females. Mm -hmm. um, 
And, you know, he said he will shoot a female if he knows it's old as hell and it's not breeding anymore and it's a giant. Doesn't He doesn't go after him, but it doesn't bug him if he shoots one that's, like, going to die basically pretty quick. Plus, looking at the tracks, I mean, you you got a big female. I mean, that can rival a 125-pound tom track. Yep, yeah. I mean, so you don't know until you get it on the tree. Then you can walk away from them as well. And we walked away from a few. Right, um, you right. Know, and he just pulls dogs and we go. I just was so amazed at the hate I got about shooting those cats and the amount of people that asked if I was going to eat the wolf. And I'm one, I, I chalked that up and I'd be, because you, you're, I think, were you 10 years older than me? I'm 57, so whatever. Like quite a bit, more than that, 15. <laughs> but as a good point, I didn't have cell phones when I grew up. You just went hunting to hunt, and, and conservation was a byproduct that, quite honestly, we never talked about. I don't know, if I, right, you know right. what conservation was. You just went hunting. That's what right. you did. And now people are getting into hunting, good, bad, or indifferent, because of maybe a social media star that they're they're wanting to aspire to be like. And they've kind of skipped that initial part that you and I didn't skip, right, as far as our growing up and going hunting mm-hmm. and learning. And so if you come into it to where all you know is eat what you kill and, I mean— you. Other than the coyotes. Uh, yeah. yeah. You, you, I 100% agree, eat what you kill if it's edible. Um, and I don't count a coyote or a wolf as edible. Those are 100%, whether you're doing it for fun or not, for conservation, because there's just too damn many and they eat everything. Uh-huh. I, when I was a kid, and again, you've got me by 15, when you were a kid, does conservation ever cross your mind, or was it just how you were raised and you went hunting and that's what you did? Well, I figured the conservation probably wasn't in my mind, but what was in my mind is I wouldn't be get issued this tag unless the biologists and the conservationists had my back and wasn't going to allow me to make a mistake by having me kill an animal that could actually be putting the species in danger. In danger. Yeah. So... I'm doing my job, otherwise you wouldn't have gave me a tag, and you're doing your job, otherwise there wouldn't have been a tag available. So I'm assuming they're doing their job, so it's all taking place, and I just got to go do mine. Yeah, and that's how I looked at it, right? They're giving me a tag because they've counted, whatever. But yeah, exactly. I didn't ever look at it like it's looked at now, where people can't, 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 conservation is kind of a tag word, it's a click word, it's the cool thing to do now, and con- it's great, I'm not bitching about it, but I think people understanding conservation's not necessarily just putting money into a fund it's feeding deer when it's a high snow you know when the the snowpack's too high it's doing sheep and mountain goat counts it's doing your part for all of it um and part of that may be killing things that don't get eaten like a grizzly like a wolf or a coyote and as ugly as that may sound to some people if you have the choice to shoot six wolves and and not eat them, right? They, you just keep the fur and the pelt and everything else, but you're saving, well, let's say two mountain lions, six wolves, and six coyotes. Over the course of time, that's probably 300 ungulates, would mm-hmm. you, is a guess? Exactly. I mean, if I'm pulling that out of my ass, but 300 or more ungulates is what you're right. saving. I like those numbers. I, I like that idea because if you don't control the predators, the ungulates will be gone and there's going to be these huge peaks and valleys to where high predators, they eat all the ungulates, then the predators die off from starving. This is obviously huge blocks of time. The ungulates build back and then the predators crush them again. As humans, we can even, the even that shit out. Yeah. 
Um, and that's that's what people don't recognize. And and people also need to know that might be listening to this or they're or that that are saying that you know these guys are against these. There's nothing I enjoy more than seeing a mountain lion in the woods. There's nothing I enjoy more than seeing wolves in the woods. They are a neat animal and is a privilege to see them. We're not wanting them, you know, we, we don't hate them. We just respect them and know they got to be managed no different than the deer, elk, and antelope. I mean, since we need to kind of talk about, or we, me and Aaron get on rampages with this stuff that I think is important. It's not, uh, rampage is the wrong word. It's, it's information out there that just kind of, I think a lot of people need to think about. But I got a wolf story. My first wolf that I shot, and maybe Aaron will share his as well. But mine, I was in Alaska, do-yourself hunt, and I was looking at some caribou off in the distance. I've never seen a wolf before in my life. I was hearing them at night. I'm just sleeping out in a little two-man tent. and But I was hearing them, never seeing them. Well, I'm looking at a group of caribou, about 13 or 14 caribou that are all bedded down, all bulls. And there's two or three bulls in there that I'd love to have stuck an arrow in. I'm like, how am I going to get to these guys? So I'm looking down through my spotting scope, and all of a sudden I see the back of the heads of two wolves looking at the same caribou I'm looking at. And they're like maybe 60, 70 yards from them. I'm, you know, I'm eight, 900 yards away from them. So now I'm thinking like Marty Stalford. That shows how much age I have. I mean, <laughs> so I'm thinking, man, I saw my first wolves, and this is going to be cooler than heck. Well, while I'm looking through the spotting scope, they're, they're, um, all of a sudden this pack of this herd of caribou are running right in to the two wolves i'm like what the heck's going on here grab my binoculars look up and there's like nine wolves chasing this group of caribou right into these two wolves you know it was all planned i mean they're, they're master hunters so with that they were able to jump on a couple more caribou because the caribou got really confused and was started wanting to go back in the direction they were being chased from and then they didn't want to go forward because the other two wolves were there and made this chaos it was perfect plan and it was awesome to witness well they got on three caribou and one of the caribou, I mean, they pulled the lips off its face they pulled those ham hocks off it was dragging intestines they're eating it while it's running the other two caribou were looked like they were martial artists. They were doing some kicking and, and shedding dogs, and they would jump back on. They would kick another dog off. Well, they got another one down. They couldn't fight no more. So the third one, it's running by me, and I'm like, shit, I'm just going to be like 30 yards away. And these, these wolves are coming right by. So this alpha male, he was a third again bigger than the rest of the wolves. He come running by chasing that third caribou, trying to get him down. I shot my arrow and went right across his chest, bounced in the rocks. He slammed on the brakes, heard it, the arrow that the arrow made past him. So it made him look the other direction. And so I knocked another arrow and center punched him. I'm like, holy cow, I just killed a wolf with a stick bow. I mean, I was like <laughs> on cloud nine. Get up to pat myself on the back. The rest of the wolves see me and they take off. Well, then when he didn't take off, they all come back and they all come back and they're showing their teeth. They got the hair rose up on their backs. And I just got through witness them eating a caribou on the run, pull the lips off its face. I mean, it's ears. I mean, it was dragging intestines, trying to keep up. And you just hope mother nature kicks in and the animal's in shock. And it's not feeling a whole lot of that because it was feeling all that. I was feeling it and I wasn't even part of it. Now these wolves are coming back and I got four arrows left in my quiver. I'm like, okay, how smart was this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but eventually they went over there, and once they realized the the wolf that I'd shot was dead, they 
had almost had another couple of pecking orders. They had a couple of fights right there in front of me, hair flying. I don't know if they ever determined who was going to take over the pack or if that's what they were even doing. But bottom line is they finally walked off and left and I got my wolf. But um, just in that instance there, a, a group, there was nine that was chasing the group of caribou and the two. So there was a total of 11, 11 wolves and the one attack that they totally planned out, they brought down three caribou. Yeah. And, and you know, when you look at... When you were talking about before, like, I don't have any issues with wolves or mountain lions. My issue with wolves is when, um, you know, emotion gets it. I hate the idea of introducing wolves to Colorado, not because it wouldn't be cool to see a wolf in Colorado, but because there will be pickets and protesting and shit when it's time to have a season to keep them, uh, the numbers semi, you know, in check. By the time I feel what I've seen what happens in other states, by the time we are allowed to hunt the wolves, if they get out of hand, it'll be too late. That's that's what I worry about because it is cool hearing them howl too. You know, yeah, it, it, weird. It, 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 it is cool. Animal. <laughs> well, the bottom line is, I mean, for everybody out there that thinks they they're an la- animal lover and they don't like hunting, they don't like, they think this is a poor excuse to have. You know, um, you know, you got to you got to manage your herds, otherwise they'll die of starvation or disease or whatever. If you just think that through, I mean. If, if if say you bred dogs and you had your dog a real great Labrador Retriever or whatever and and he's a field trial champion, then you breed him and you sell his pups for a thousand dollars a piece, and then you breed one of his pups with him again, and then you breed with that pup with him again, the pups from that dog again, then you got a really sick, imbalanced group of Labradors that are are unhealthy. They're they're. They're inbred and they're no good. Well, if you get a big majestic buck out there and people do this all the time, well, why do you guys always just have the big ones? Well, let's put it this way. If you're out there hunting and the, you got you got this bull elk and he is the herd bull. I mean, you could look at him and say, okay, no wonder he's got those 20 cows. He's got close to same size bulls trying to come in there and steal cows from him. He's big enough to ward them off. So he gets to breed all those cows. Well, then next year he could be breeding his offspring. Or they're in the following year, breeding his offspring because he's a big enough bull. He's warding off everybody again. Well, then the third year comes along. Now he's breeding several generations of his own offspring. What is that? That's an example of a very poor, healthy, unhealthy herd. Well, as a hunter, we go in there looking for those big bulls. We harvest that bull, get some new genetics in there, and you constantly always have a healthy herd. Now, believe me, I've shot spikes too. I mean, I shoot anything, you know, to fill that freezer. But my initial first week or two of a season, I'm going after the biggest bull in the woods. After that, it's looking to fill my freezer because I thoroughly 100% enjoy their meat, table fare, and I, I've never bought meat in a grocery store. It's, uh, well, my wife might buy a chicken every once in a while to put on the grill, but very seldom. I'm in the same boat. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, you know, you talk about that too. Of course, we haven't hit any hunting stories yet, but these are good ones. Um, uh, we had Aaron Nielsen in here, who's known kind of as an asshole in some by some aspects in the industry, meaning, I say an asshole. I like Aaron. He's funny. When I say that, meaning he's a trophy hunting fool and he's not afraid to to show it. And he hates the some of the things going on in the industry. And he did. He shot a lot of big animals, a lot with a gun, but some with a bow. And and one thing he brought up is, you know, you the only thing you can't stop is is time. And he was friends, I think, with the guy that bought that white rhino tag or whatever it was, and got death threats, and it had all this huge right hoopla. 
No more than that, Samson the lion, yeah, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that that rhino was not able to breed anymore, so it couldn't pass on its genes. It was too old. It was beating the shit out of all the other rhinos, so they couldn't breed, and it only had a year of life left in it. If that guy's willing to pay that much money, which is going to go to the local tribes and, and what, you know, re- there's issues over there with rhino poaching, and it was going to go to all that, why wouldn't you want that money? Because it's going to die. It's not going to live forever. And it's at that time in its life where it's not really doing any good. It's, it's doing bad because it's not yeah, letting the other bulls breed, breed the other rhinos. And it's too fucking mean and too big, so no smaller rhino is going to be able to to best that one. Which, I, for whatever reason, I didn't really think about that till I said it. I mean, I've thought about it, but not quite that way, because that was a huge ordeal. Like, I got death threats and all kinds of shit over this. And you also look at that in the sense of um, when you, when because of the um, perception, I don't know how many messages I got about, I can't believe I'm shooting an endangered species. A fucking mountain lion, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, hey, what makes you think this is endangered? Like, there's actually way too many of them. You know what? Like what make what makes you think? And well, oh, because mountain lions are endangered. And I'm like, yeah, they didn't give me any reason. You're telling me what you're thinking, but why? And so trying to get that word out, I, which I didn't do a very good job of in previous years, of so people understand, just because you never see a mountain lion or you never see a wolf or you never see whatever, that doesn't mean they're not tons of them out there. And kind of trying to spread that word and get some common sense into the general well, population. It's, it's no different than what Trump's going through with the fake news and, you know, with the left wing liberals or they're uh, you know, controlling 99.9% of radio and TV. You're only going to hear that, well, they're endangered. They're endangered. You're never going to hear the truth. It's not allowed. It's not, we're not going to get that airtime. But uh, the truth of the matter is, I mean, if you're out there, I, I personally, Aaron personally, and most of our listeners personally, we wouldn't need to read it in the newspaper or in an article that the deer and the elk are on a decline because we're in the woods and we would find out ourselves. Nobody would have to tell us. As opposed to these people trying to shut down these seasons, do you think they've ever even been on a camping trip? Do you think they've ever been in the woods, spending the night, you know, go way back in 10, 12 miles, seeing the winter kill, seeing the mountain lion kill, seeing the carcass laying all over the place, seeing animals caught in barbed wire fences because, you know, the snow was too deep, they couldn't get to the grain, they couldn't get to the grass, so they're trying to get into a, a food lot somewhere for cattle or whatnot. We see all this, so no one, no one would ever have to tell me or Aaron, or anybody like us, that, hey, man, what, what happened to our populations? Where were they going? We would know personally. We'd be the ones that would be telling everybody else, hey, what the hell's going on, as opposed to the antis that are like, well, no, I've never seen a deer in real life. I've never, I've never seen that in real life. But I personally just think they're too cute. I mean, it's uh, not everybody can go hunting. Not everybody can do what we do, but don't discredit what we do. The reason why, if it wasn't for us, you wouldn't have these animals to look at. We wouldn't be having this conversation. Yeah, no, 100%. I mean, Bart said it best. If you're not in the woods, if you haven't spent time on the mountain, out in the woods, you just should not get, I mean, he even said, you don't get to fucking vote. You shouldn't have, uh, you don't have the resume. Why would you be able to vote? I mean, I don't think if we had a vote for if the Boston Marathon should continue. Why should I get to vote? I fucking hate to run. I don't know anything about running or anything like that. If you don't have a good grasp on the subject matter at hand, yeah, and, and it, it, sadly enough, the people that are voting have no experience on a lot of this. But All they know what they've been told, uh, and that's, that's – uh, and, you know, who would believe anything in the social media today? I mean, who uh, – there's, there's just no way everybody's – I don't want to use the retarded word – 
um, because I don't, I don't know what's politically correct these days. <laughs> yeah. But retarded, not. I get yelled at one for all the time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's just uh, come on, open your minds. There's so much information out there with with the age of Google to just educate yourselves. Don't 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 believe Aaron and I. Uh, go out there and, and figure it out yourselves and, and do your own research and you'll come back and say, I'll guarantee you that we're right yeah. when it comes to this stuff. No, for, for sure. Um, well, let's talk about hunting a little okay. bit because Jesus Christ, we're already on an hour. I can't yeah. believe that. What? Uh, so I'm going on a, um, I ended up getting a brown bear hunt. Uh, well, brown bear grizzly, it's right on the, the border. But with you, with what you're doing, um, what do you guys do, two to four a year? Are you usually guys up there? Uh, no, I think uh, Jonah, I think, has eight. Eight? Eight. And that's, uh, you guys, 100% success on that? Correct. Yeah. And how big are those? Because you guys are into the bigger bear area. Where I'm at, it's going to be more like a grizzly. How big of bears are you guys taking out of there? Uh, I'd say we average nine footers. Yeah. Is that pretty good hunt, or is it boring as hell? It's 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 boring, no way. Um, it's, it's very entertaining. It's uh, not like... I mean, we're doing the baited brown bear. Uh, they've kind of eliminated the spot and stock for us, which is can be really, really exciting and, and 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 a lot of fun, like any spot and stock is. But when it comes to hunting out of a tree stand, I'd put it past anything to still be to still be you know 20 yards from you know a nine foot brown bear that is is king of the hill. Um, you see continually there's never not a black bear on the bait these where we bait there's never the these black bear never seen a human they're not afraid of us we walk in there to put the food in there and the bears are champing their teeth at us making this weird noise and they're never more than five feet from us as we're pouring the bag out they're wanting to eat it before it hits the ground i mean it's it's bad Uh, and it hasn't been dangerous yet but it's it's uh you pay attention you you you, without a doubt pay attention um and but with the brown bear it's really strategic sometimes to go in there and break those. I mean, Jonah does 99% of all of it. He works his rear end off. I'm just the guide. I mean, he lands his plane. So when they hear that plane coming in, all the brown bears that are within a you know hearing distance of that plane know that food's coming again. So Because they eat it out. You can't have 30, 40 black bears on 100 pounds of dog food sitting out there that it's not going to be 100% of every kernel's gone within this next day. So he has to bait every single day because it's gone. So the brown bears, um, they, they, they hear that coming. So they know, we know when we land the plane that it's a foot race. Let's get to that bait, get the food poured in there before the bear gets there uh, because that's their bait. Uh, we've seen them kill black bears. Uh, we've seen them get in fights and that kind of stuff. They take that bait seriously. So... With that said, when you're up in that tree and you're 20 yards away from them, I mean, it's just, uh, uh, you see the muscle tone through the hair. You just, they're just a, an incredible animal you're that close to. And then multiple times I've had a bear flat knew I was there. He smelled me. It was a bear we didn't want, like something was a little smaller or a sow with cubs. And they, they're looking for you. And they look right up that tree. And multiple times I've had bears climb the tree, pulling my pegs out. So now I'm dry humping the tree trying to get down out of it because I don't have no pegs because <laughs> they, they stripped them out. So people that say that brown bear can't climb, grizzly bears can't climb trees, that kind of stuff, they, it's, part of that's true. The great big boars can't because their, their, their fingernails are too long, their claws are too long. But the, the females and some of the younger boars have no problem 
climbing a tree and then get to your platform. But, you know, we got pepper spray and things like that. But bottom line is they they're looking for you and they know you're there. And also, you know, some of the big guys that you really want, brown bear are they have the most uncanny sixth sense that's out there. You don't want to stare at the bear all the time. You don't want to like, oh my God, look at the size of his head. Look at his claws. You got to kind of look at other things because it's no different than when you're in a crowd of people and you're sitting there and all of a sudden you find yourself turning around looking. Like you, you, you just feel that somebody's just staring at the back of your head. That's called a sixth sense. Well, we've all had it. We've all been in areas where like, what's, what's going on? Just something didn't feel right. Well, the brown bears know what that feeling means. And because they're hunted, they know they're not top of the food chain, and if they smell you, some of those big boars, the reason why they're that big is because they 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 know human is a bad thing. Um, they smell in the scent every day because we're walking in, they're putting in new bait, um, and so they know it's there. And, and it's it's they come it comes common with the the bait, but it's not as strong as when you're actually there when they come to the bait and they differentiate that they they know the difference so you got to have the wind right you can't make any noises and because the big ones the ones that we're after the ones that we got trail cameras of and we show the photo album to the hunters like this one's on this bait this one's on this bait this which one would you like to go after i want to go after this one you usually got one chance because if you mess it up he's not coming back um but with that said also as far as aaron's saying is it boring this that and the other you're you're never, it's, it's, you're always looking at something. Um, and there's nothing boring about something that can climb up the tree and pull you out either. So it's, uh, you, you stay awake. It's easy to stay awake. And it's exciting. <laughs> I would, I would highly recommend it for anybody that uh, wants some, uh, have the hair raised up on their back and actually hunting an animal that, that, that could hunt you. Well, and, and you got, I tried to book with you guys, but you guys are booked out two years. Yeah. Yeah. Two, obviously. So a good area. Um, which is cool, but I actually I booked a goat hunt um, in uh, in Alaska as well with that Lonesome Dove Outfitters, and it's been uh, by Cordova. I okay. guess rainy as shit is what it sounds like, but it's cool with the stick bow thing. Um, Jake Downs went up there last year, um, and I think he killed one on his second or third stock, so I'm pretty excited about that. I will say, remember when we were talking, fuck, I don't know, whatever, three podcasts ago, when we were talking about using the point on and instinctual and... Um, you know, gripping it and ripping it might be a better idea because certain situations. Anyway, I don't think we talked about this. You were right. I got fucked like a with a football bat on uh, my first shot at my first mule deer opening day, um, using my point on rather than just shooting it. Mm-hmm. It was right at that distance of of uh, going from using a point on to just because about at about thirty, I shoot instinctual right and on in, and after thirty thirty two, I'll. I'll I know where to put the tip of my arrow to, to get it in the, anyway, I, as you know, you know, come off cliffs and then there was a bench with bristle comb and those sparsy pines and they were bedding on, on my side of them to stay out of the sun. So I knew I had a window to get to them before the sun hit them. They were in their second bed. So I knew they were going to be there for a while and pretty, pretty good setup. Like it should have been dead. I dropped down, um, like avalanche shoot basically to their left as I'm facing them, come over and there was some rolling hills. You couldn't have designed it better to get in on them. Got in on them and that fucker turned. So when I dropped down, he was facing away. When I first popped my fat head up, I'm always looking for the top of the tines Mm because I don't need to see any more than that. Right, right. And I don't know if he saw the top of my fat head or what, but he was facing me. Um, He moved and I was like, oh shit. So I dropped back down. 
And as I dropped down a couple feet, he came up a couple feet to his feet. Is he whether well, maybe it's six cents? He just knew something was oh, they, up. Those big bucks, they, they it's different than hunting two pointers compared to hunting big bucks. Yeah. Oh yeah, and that was like my goal was just to shoot an old deer when I was up there, and this one was probably four and a half. Uh-huh. And so old enough, he 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 he'd been you know had a couple of drinks, seen a couple of things. He starts moving left, and I'm like, oh, he's gonna die today. This is perfect, and he's not looking right at me. He's looking over, looking back, and I'm like, well, shit. When he looks away, I'm going to shoot this fucker. And um, he went to 168, 175, Mm -hmm. good deer. I drew back and was just going to shoot it, and like a dumb shit looked down at my point, and it was, you know, because of the rolling hills, Mm -hmm. I could only see his body up. I couldn't see his legs. I think that just mentally fucked me, and I I shot high. I you know what I mean. I should have just shot when I got my brain involved. And you know, Joel Turner talks about being in control of your shot and pulling through the clicker. And you don't. I don't totally. In some circumstances, and I'd I'd like to get your take on this because you're just a killer. You're not. I mean, don't think it's the wrong way. You're not the greatest shot in the world. You just put shit on the ground. There's a time to just grip it and rip it and not mm-hmm. go like hit the clicker and whatever and that was the time i should have shot the damn deer i started looking at my point and i'm like fuck it's six feet into the dirt and next thing you know i shot over its back and i didn't i didn't get the buck and then cried like a bitch yeah i've (laughs) never i've never been accused of being a target shooter um and i i i mean i i'm not i'm not a good target shooter uh but i do pride myself on on holding it together and shooting animals well. I've always been able to shoot animals well. Not to say I haven't missed, not to say that I haven't boogered a couple of them. And uh, I really try not to booger them because it rocks my world. I'll walk off the mountain. I might have another week or two left of the season and it just, it just screws me up. Um, I need to get over that. I need to get better at that because it does happen. Um, but I, it, just, it just messes me up and I just, I lose my enthusiasm. And um, I mean, this year, I, I don't want to make it sound like me and Aaron are doing a lot of missing or, or whatnot, but this year I had a unit, I had a tag that was good till the unit till 31st of January. And I've been looking for mule deer, and they're, usually those bucks are kind of off by themselves, waiting to get eaten by a mountain lion. And I found, found this buck, and it's the giant status. It's the, oh, my God, buck. It's, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a really good buck. It was... It was an oh my god buck, and I, uh, I had a neighbor tell me about him, and he, he says, yeah, he's plowing my driveway, and it just uh, it won't move, and I, he goes like, there's a there's a big old spot on his hip, and he keeps licking it. So when he tells me about it, I'm like, he goes, he goes, should I call a humane society or the sheriff or something like that? Because this, this animal, you know, doesn't, must be sick or something. I go, well, I got a tag. I haven't been seeing a whole lot. I can put him out of his misery. And if you want the meat, you can have it or whatever. I mean, I'll, I'm only two days left of the season. So I followed him up there. And it was an oh my God deer that I've seen for the last couple of years. Hadn't seen him this year until just then. And it's, it's an uncanny mule deer. Um, I'll just tell you about his eye guards. He's got an eye guard on the left that's about nine inches, <laughs> an eye guard on the right that's about 11 inches. And it's almost like an extra beam. But it's, I don't know if they're really, well, you can, they'd be considered eye guards, but it's almost like a double beam buck on both sides. And it, he's just, he's the status of, you know, that 260, 270 type non typical. So now, I mean, there would be no glory in this. 
but he is. He's just sitting there. He's just uh, obviously hurt. Whether he got shot in the in the in the in the butt, whether he got gored during the rut, you know, who knows what caused the injury or hit by a car. But he, he is licking. There's a bunch of hair slipped about a, a six inch circle where he's licking this wound. So he goes, well, there he is. Whatever he goes, I don't. I you know, I got my daughters with me. I don't want to. You know, you just do what you got to do. He leaves. Well, talk about animals having an instinct. We're sitting there bullshitting 10 yards away from them, 20 yards away from this deer. As soon as he leaves, I reach in my vehicle to grab my bow, turned around, he's 60 yards, walked off. So I didn't get him that day. Next day comes around, you know, two days come by. It's the last day of the season now, and he comes down and goes, hey, he's back. I go up there, get 15 yards from this thing, and it's it's a giant deer. I haven't been able to sleep, even though there'd be no glory. Um it's for one thing putting this animal out of his misery. When he walked off, I'll remind you, you know, the day, two days before that, he was using his leg. Um, so it wasn't a broken leg. It was just he had a heck of a wound that was bothering the heck out of him. And just like a dog, if you don't, that's why they got to wear those cones around their head. I mean, they'll lick right through a wound and, and be their worst enemy. I, mean, I had to wear them when I had my vasectomy. I mean, it's just one of those deals. <laughs> but oh, <that's> it, <laughs> so, at any rate, he's. He uh, again. I get up there and he, I'm let, sitting on him for about an hour, and the wind's blowing 30 miles an hour, blowing snow out of the trees. Everything is perfect. I mean, it's the most setting, awesome. He gets up on all fours, and he starts walking, and he's quartering away from me, and I have the perfect shot. And I just don't miss this shot, but um, it was. I hate him saying this out loud and on the radio, but I. Here I'm an animal I want to put out of his misery, um, and just a one heck of an animal that deserved a humane death. I shot, and I, I my, like with the, with Aaron saying he got focused on something else, you know, spot on or whatever line of sight. I got zeroed in. I, if I'd have been two inches to the right, I'd have hit him perfect, quartered away, killed him. Instead, I hit two inches to the left, and dead centered that spot that he already had a hole. I hit that. It was like a bullseye on his butt. I hit that. I don't know if I got focused in on that, uh, what happened, or just a just a plane. You know, I was two inches off. Um, he was quartering kind of hard, and I needed to miss that hip and and go into the body. And instead, I hit the hip. So I hit him in the same leg. Fortunately, he took about 15 steps. The arrow made it out, and uh, all it does is gave him an extra an extra hole there for the poison to leak out of that hip because you could smell it from a distance. And when I followed him that first day, he left a hunk about the size of a softball of a big pus pocket that fell out of that. So uh, I've seen some really strange things, you know, uh, being a taxidermist and seeing animals where animals heal, a broken leg, and they kind of heal side by side. They're very, uh, the survival instincts of these animals are, are, are insane. So uh, do I think this deer will live another day? I think it's a high possibility because it wasn't a broken leg as long as the coyotes and the mountain lions don't catch that whiff of that wound and he won't stand a chance. Yeah, that was last year. That was this year. This I mean, yeah, year, last year. year. Yeah, yeah. yeah. two yeah. weeks ago. It. Um, uh, we shot. Um, Brian shot a moose up in um, BC that had a puncture wound, and I went about four inches away from the puncture wound. I was going to cut it out. Bad idea. It oh, yeah. leaked pus for thirty minutes, probably gallons of pus. Yeah, I mean gallons of pus. Yeah, and. That moose was fine. I mean, you couldn't, when I say that, meaning when we killed it, I had no idea. He was fine. He's calm right. and shit. Um, it's amazing the resilience that those things have and what they can take. And literally, 
I got a pretty strong stomach. I was gagging. I never did puke, but once that smell and the pu- yeah, yeah. Said, oh Jesus, it was bad. But um, it was pretty amazing. And I've shot, oh, I mean, out of animals I've shot, I probably shot maybe ten or fifteen where I found a bullet, a broadhead, something in them. They don't care. I mean, they don't even. I mean, you. When I say they don't care, it's not like I talked to them, had a conversation. Yeah. Certainly didn't look like they gave a shit. Yeah, I mean, they were fine. You would never would have known, and that's a that's a good point to bring up. Um, that, that these animals, they they can survive that. Um, and um, I mean, you hope they do. In your mind, have peace of mind. It's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to see them next year or whatnot. I mean, another deer that I shot for 2018. Um, and I just had a weird year, but I was in Kansas and a friend of mine called me where we hunt in Nebraska and said, hey, you know, the landowner up there seeing a great big whitetail says he's like a 170 type whitetail. You need to go up there because where I was hunting in Kansas, only an hour and a half drive where I hunt in Nebraska. So I jumped in the truck and I, I hauled butt over there and the landowner meets me on this dirt road and he's telling me, he goes, yeah, in the standing corn, he keeps taking does run over here in the in the cattle break country and he was in a, in a CRP field. He'd bed down with the doe for a day and a half, two days, and then he's, you know, then they won't see him. The next thing you know, he's in there with another doe. So he's using that area. So he showed me where this area is. We're driving down this two-track road. What runs across the road right in front of us is this 170-plus whitetail chasing a doe. So I'm, my heart's beating 1,000 miles an hour. I pull in behind him. He goes, well, there he is. And I'm like, is this your corn? He goes, yeah, it's my corn. I'm, like, I'm going in there after him. I, I, I love, I, mean, I don't say I love, I don't mind hunting and standing corn. It, it could get up close and personal and it's kind of neat. So I go in there and I can still hear his diesel running. I'm in there probably 60 rows or so. And so that probably what, maybe 30, 40 yards from the road. And he's grunting, chasing this doe, knocking down corn, making all kinds of noise. And I got a grunt tube on and I, I grunt a little bit and it goes dead silent. Then I hear the noise again, and then it goes dead silent. Now it's going dead silent for a long time. I'm like, damn, what if they made it out of here? So I simulated what he was doing, and I ran through about 10 rows of corn broadside to it where it was just hitting my chest and going up between my legs. I got some paper cuts on my face because this, this, I mean, corn cuts on my face. This corn was, you know, way over my head, just trying to sound like I was crashing through the woods, trying to sound like another deer. Well, that, that woke up the whole field again. So now shit's happening. Right away, here's this doe come that he was chasing, or I assume the one he was chasing, steps into my row. And she's like 15 yards to my left. And right behind her, I can see the corn laying down and he's coming. So I get ready. He steps into the lane. A lot of times with hunting standing corn, they'll, they'll step into the lane and just have their head in your lane and you have no shot. And, but he walked through it, stuck his head in the lane past me. And so what I had there was right behind the shoulder. Boom. Knocked the air out of him. I'm like, holy cow, I got my trophy whitetail. I could hear him crash and burn. I go over there and it was like a 140 inch buck. And nowhere <laughs> in my mind did I think there was another buck in there. I mean, I saw him run across the road. Which I went in there. 140 white inch whitetail is still a pretty damn good whitetail. <laughs> if I'd have went in there after him, I still would have been on cloud nine. Yeah. But I didn't go in after him. Yeah. I mean, I was like, whole what I, I mean, I was, I was disappointed. Like Aaron said, that's still a, a one heck of a buck. But it's, uh, I was, I, that's not the buck I went in there after. And everybody's like, I mean, how could you be 15 yards away from something and shoot the wrong buck? Well, I knew it was a buck because I saw a flash of the horns when he came through, and he was still grunting. But the doe stopped him because the doe only made like a couple rows past me and stopped, so he stopped perfect. And I never, in my mind, 
six minutes before that, saw a 170 run across the road, and I never got out of hearing him. And I, I just never thought there was another buck in there with him. So I ended up shooting the wrong buck. It happens. I, I got to say, like, when you, it for me, and you're you're a better when I say trophy hunter, like you're you're better at that than I am. I get pretty wound up, and and I, I'm just happy to shoot decent animals or whatever. But well, I was in, on cloud nine with this. I mean, in Oklahoma, there's a lot of deer where we're at in Oklahoma, and uh, I shot a. It, you know, it happened so fast, and I had a lot longer to look at it than you did. I mean, you had a flash of corn to look through. And in a 140 and a 170, there's a difference. But when you have a split second for me, I can tell you I would have been pretty fucking hard to tell the difference. Plus adrenaline running, and then you have no idea it's there, mm-hmm. right? You know what I mean? So, yeah. you know, I had multiple bucks come in, and there was an eight point that they said I could shoot um, in this one one property. And... It was there. It came in, no doubt, and it was chasing over around this other deer that was a big 10, but it was three. And all the what you want in a hunt with a whitetail, bucks chasing each other, running after does, fighting, and somewhere in the mix, an eight-point came in, and I shot it. I had six to eight seconds because I shot it walking, you know, to, to get my shit together when it was coming in. And six to eight of that seconds, part of that was getting my hand on the string. Like, like a dumb fuck, I didn't have my bow in my hand. And <laughs> yeah. grabbed it, right. and it's coming left to right. And it had just went to the left chasing this doe, and that buck had circled around. And when it came back, a doe came through. I'm like, money, right? I'm going to kill this fucker. And it comes through, and I shoot it about from me to you from the tree no idea that it's the wrong deer like i was a hundred percent certain it was the right deer and when it ran off when it jumped a fence i'm like and that didn't look as big as shit <laughs> yeah <been> and, there. <laughs> it, it jumped the fence and uh it piled up and i'm like well it's still early and I, you can shoot does so i'm like i'm gonna run over there real quick and check because it's still early I run over and snap a photo of it and shoot, send it to Broderick. And it was still a good deer, but it wasn't, it was just a... It wasn't that deer. Fuck no, yeah. when that deer. And Broderick's like, no. I'm like, shit. And he immediately says, I hope that big one comes in and shits on your Wheaties all night. And then I'm like, fuck, I'm like, it's the wrong one. Are you sure? He's like, yeah, that's not, you'll know. And sure shit, I climb back in the tree. And it's, there's a lot going on, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? And and I happen to be right set, right time with a doe and heat. And... When you get those, I haven't hunted whitetails that much. I've hunted them a good bit. I mean, I've shot a bunch of them, but not very rarely do you get that prime rut. Prime, not like I've prime had doe. it. Yeah. yeah, where I've had it in elk with a hot cow yeah. and yeah. shit's just cranking. You got forty animals around you, and there's raghorns coming yeah. in. Just that circle of life. I haven't had that that much with a hot doe. And there's spikes and forkies. They don't know what the fuck's going on. They smell vagina, right? right. There's flying by and shit. And I'm like, wow, it's an interesting evening because that doe's. Doesn't have that buck chasing it now. It's got that other buck, uh, the 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 big t- or the the ten that was only three. It's still in the area, so not fifteen minutes after I climb in the stand, there's and I can smell when that wind's coming my way. I can smell the doe, and I'm like, huh, this is going to be an interesting evening. And sure as shit, that that eight point came out, and immediately I'm like, yeah. That's that's the right eight point son of a bitch, and it's probably twenty some inches difference of horn. But at that time, and adrenaline, fuck. When I shot, I thought it was the right deer. Um, he gave me a rash of shit over. It. In fact, every time I talk to him, he generally reminds me. It was still fun though. I mean, I wouldn't take anything away from it. It was pretty cool. Yeah, that's that that happens more often than not with the big bugs. It's like how the big bug got away. You know, Ashley uh, Clum, who by the way just had a baby girl last yesterday, and congratulations on that. 
um, uh, big kudos for that. She she's she's one heck of a gal. I took her hunting with Danny in Kansas a couple years ago, and it was her, it would have been her first buck, uh, and she shot a, re- a really nice buck, like the you know 130ish type deer, and so now she's just hunting does. Well, we put her in a stand where me and Danny are figuring, well, that's probably just does over there. That'd be a good place to go shoot a doe. What she has walked underneath her and took a picture is a double drop tying whitetail that probably easily go over 200 inches. So now she's that that deer like knows it's okay to go there. I mean, it can't walk under me and Danny, but <laughs> it, it was okay to go over there. And all she could do is take a picture of it. And then she took a picture of another one that was probably that 160, 170 this clash, just a great big, huge eight pointer. And it's like, and Ashley can shoot. And Ashley can shoot. Actually, she's, yeah, I don't think there's too many people that hold a candle to her, men or women. She's she's good. And she she can't do nothing. And she can't get a doe to walk by her. Of course, what, what me and Danny have walking by us all day long is does. But they just, I don't, it's just uncanny the way that you can hear these stories all the time. Like I shot him, then what stepped out later was a bigger one. Or I filled my tag, so I'm still sticking around because my buddies are still hunting. And this is what I'm running into every day. It's just you hear more stories than like that than not all the time. Which is why we do it, I guess, in some ways. I mean, you know, the the excitement of it. But I'm kind of, you know, as I, you know, with the, the recurve, um, not to bring up this shit, but you good on time? I'm good. I'm good on time. Um, w- uh, we'll go for another 18 minutes of rambling people and we'll stop. You know, when I first picked it up, I constantly said, when I first picked up the recurve, when I'd go on on a stock, well, I could have killed it with a compound. It was just stuck in my mind. And and Lander told me, he's like, dude, an amount of t- a certain amount of time, that'll go away. You know, and I'm like, you know what I mean, where mm-hmm. it won't be uh, a, cr- um, a hindrance shooting the recurve. It won't be a hindrance. You'll just go in and be like, it didn't pan out. I didn't get it, which he was right. This year, I didn't. There was one time in the high country I was like, all you fucking deer would be dead because um, <laughs> yeah. I can shoot far. Right. But trying to get to express to people how cool it is to i mean it is a pain in the ass sometimes but when you've got in you know cross the threshold in the front door of a deer's house that's over four or five years old you've done something even if you don't kill it now i'm saying that i pissed blood twice and about had it died on the side of the mountain trying to kill a deer but man i wouldn't take away anything from it this is off subject to shooting shit that you got screwed up on but you know when you're in the high country and you're dropping in on those animals Four and a half year old and over, they turn into a different animal. You know, three years old deer, kind of dumb. I mean, I don't know what your opinion is that, but. Well, I just said it earlier. Yeah, it's a whole lot different than going off, walking up on a two and a three point deer compared to a mature buck. It's just a whole different world. Yeah, even good. They don't have that instinct, that sixth sense. Right. I mean, just because they got the rack doesn't mean they have the brains yet. You Uh know, they just have good genetics. And so that was kind of my goal was because I'm, I'm, I'm driven like by, I'm very goal oriented and I'm like, okay. I'm going to shoot old animals this year with this stick bow, right? And, I mean, and you said the same kind of thing or whatever. Eventually, it becomes more automatic to where I'm not looking for the farther shot, if that makes any sense. Like, Clum would always ask me, he's like, how do you get 80-yard shots at elk? I don't even have those. And I'm like, well, hell, I set up for them. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, right, right. I'm purposefully not planning on shooting 80, but I'm above tree line. I'm waiting for him to come out and feed, and then I just drop a bomb on him, where now... I'm purposefully setting up for an eight-yard shot, and you've been doing this for whatever. I mean, you've pretty much only shot a recurve, haven't you? Yeah, that's all I've ever shot my whole life, yeah, Yeah, and 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 a longbow back and forth. I'm kind of leading this up to something I got a lot of questions about where you say it's not a hindrance 
for you to shoot the recurve. And if you thought you'd do better with a compound, you'd shoot one or you're not opposed to it. Right. You're just more lethal with a stick. And that's right. why you choose it. I thought that was total crock of shit two years ago. I'm like, nah, that's not fucking right. There's no way. And then now as I've done it, uh, I, I'm just as successful as I was with a compound. I, I don't have any issues. Sometimes it takes a little longer. But I certainly have to set my stocks up. I have to hunt accordingly for those closer shots. It's just cooler. And what I'm getting at is I think people would be surprised for guys taking 80-yard shots at mule deer. If you take that away and then you take an 8-yard shot at a mule deer on a kick-ass stock, I bet you get a hell of a lot more out of that 8-yard shot than you would the 80. And this is coming from a guy who's poked a lot of shit out there at 80. But you've been doing it since birth, so... You don't know yeah. any different. You like the, you know, you know, you're addicted to the close shots. But I've, but I've guided, oh, yeah. you know, plenty of uh, other, you know, compound hunters, and and there, there, that's. I'm glad Aaron brought this up because there's a, there's a big difference of that, um, and and the, I think it's a no-brainer being that close to an animal, is uh, is there's this you, you can't bring your hand up quick. If a mosquito's biting you on the forehead, you can't go up there and wipe it at eight yards away. 80, yard, 80 yards away, you can. You can go ahead and take off your coat. You can go ahead. You can do whatever you want. I mean, there's, there's, you have no hindrances. Uh, when you're up close and personal with them, you can't get away with anything. You can't even pass gas if you wanted to. I mean, it's just one of those deals where you just kind of get loose. The, to get used to being close to an animal that close, you'll never get used to it. You'll just always desire it. You'll always want it. And, um, and that's, that's what's driven me. And when I tell Aaron, I uh, said this a couple of years ago in regards to for the way I hunt, a recurve longbow is, I'm the more lethal with that than I would be a compound. But, and the reason why I say that is because I'm one of those people that I'm good at getting close. And I pride myself on getting close. And I'm not going to, well, I, I t- said a story just well, a little while ago, you know, I'm 20, 25 yards away from a deer and I end up being two inches off. But tip, and that's, you know, my one out of 10 years that I wounded an animal. Um, not that I've missed an animal. So I'm really good at getting close. And with getting close, instead of shooting that animal at 80 yards and it only being that one buck on that hillside, well, now 80 yards, my stock just started. So now it's going to take me another 45 minutes to get over there. Sometimes camp on him over. I was going to say, if you're lucky, 45 yeah. Sometimes <laughs> if it's in the morning, you got to wait for him to get back out of his bed that night. Um, so you're, it's it's a whole different deal. And you're really, you have to worry about the thermals. You don't want to get too close in case you got to back out. There's a whole lot of science going into getting that close to an animal. And you have to know about the thermals. You have to know what's going on. So whenever you're, when you're out to get that close, um, it's, uh, I kind of lost my train of thought there. It, it is rewarding, uh, and it is difficult, and it's not so much being up close and personal with them as, as far as, oh, okay, this is what I was going to get at. Instead of seeing that one buck, next thing you know, two more bucks come out and join him because now you've been there for two hours. Then all of a sudden, before you get there, there's a total of five bucks. There's four other bucks that were there in the vicinity that I never knew were there. Now I've totally changed mind of the buck I was going to go after that was by himself. Now two of these bucks are bigger than him. So it presents more opportunity and more opportunity to admire and, and, and appreciate wildlife. And why you're doing this, you're learning things. You're learning. You can almost tell which way the wind's blowing by the way they bed. Uh, you can almost tell that the sun's close to coming and shading these deer because they've chosen that spot because now they're going to be in the shade all night. I mean, Let, let's talk about that for a second because w- people ask all the time, and I take it for granted, the the bedding thing. Deer always 
well, almost always re-bed. Mm-hmm. Don't ever go after that fucker unless he's really close on his first bed. But his second bed, you can tell from where the sun is and the trees behind almost to the minute of when he's going to move within reason when the sun hits him. When people talk about common sense and you're talking about getting close, this is all the shit that, not to bring up social media celebrities and stars and everything else, but the things that you learn, and I learn even more and more with a stick bow, are things like that. Like, are you going to go in on a stock? You take 10 hunters, some of those 10 hunters are going to know when the thermals change, when the sun's going to push the deer. These are all things you have into consideration, and a good hunter will know that and be able to get close compared to a, when I say bad hunter, an inexperienced hunter isn't going to know those things and more than most likely is either going to get lucky or blow it out and learn from his, you know, mistakes. And you're able to get within feet of animals. And what would you say, as I'm rambling on here, the things I've learned about getting super close is one, I've always got to go in socks. Do you stock in socks? I stock in socks. Two, like chest harnesses, like for bino rigs, I'm going to have to I think I'm going to go with, I'm going to have to drop that freaking bino harness on the last part of the stock and go with just like a rubber band or something. The fucker just makes too much noise. Man, you got to go. I'm not, I, we're not here to endorse anything, and, but um, that Rick Young. Yeah, Rick that's Young, what I'm going uh, with, the uh, rubber band. Because uh, 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 you can strap that so it holds it close to your body. You can lean over things and it keeps it close uh, to your chest. I, mean, I, I, I am going to endorse that. I used to use it and okay. I should have stayed with it. Um, for years I used it. The Rick Young bino harness, it's just a bungee cord. It holds tight. But it can't go without saying, and I love an Alaskan guy creation harness. It keeps shit dry, mm-hmm. and but it's fucking loud. And um, Matt Davis was using an FHF, I think, in Alberta this year. He he walked upright to a 190 inch deer in the red brush. He got so he got too close because they're you can't shoot them. They're in there. But he did a he did this up against that. That's all it, it takes. That's all it took. It fucking bounced. <laughs> I've been lucky enough to where the couple times I've done that, the deer just snapped his head and five minutes later he calmed down. But, dude, every time I do that, I'm thinking, I got to get rid of this fucking harness. Right? I'm going to end up yeah. blowing out a deer. And what are some of the other things you've seen catch people is what I'm getting up to. on the, And not just noise, but the thermals changing, the sun, just common sense shit. Yeah, well, like I say... I mean, I, if I knew this stuff, this is an old cliche, if I knew this stuff today, I mean, <laughs> 40 years ago that I learned today, and I, I was that inexperienced person. I was the one that went after the bed when he, the, the deer, that, when he first bedded down. And that first bed down thing, he's been up at all dark 30 when you first crawled out of your tent before the sun came out and you were walking with a flashlight. That deer's been on his feet eating. So that first bedding thing I've learned through the time, when you look at him in that bed, he's chewing his cud. He's chewing his cud from chew, from 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 eating all day long, I mean, all morning long before the sun came up. Now he's taking a break. So that first bedding time, he's chewing his cud and things are adjusting in his in his intestines and he's eating and doing all that kind of stuff. Well, typically, I mean, I'll bring Thanksgiving into it. When you have a big old feast, there's always that, that big party burnout. Like everybody's like, holy cow, yeah, I eat too much. Well, that deer, after he's cycled everything through through that first bedding point, in my opinion, I could be way off and biologists might say I'm full of shit, but... After doing this every single solitary year of my life, well, since 14 years old, then seeing those guys after they bed down, they're chewing their cud and they're doing their thing, have them get up and go another 150 yards up into the tree line to where they're going to be shaded for the rest of the day. Now you see them in those spots, they might chew their cud a little bit, but now they're bedded. 
and they're locked down bedded. I mean, they are now in that rest mode, and they they could be there until that hour before dock or that sweet spot, half hour before it gets light. So you do have that amount of time if you're in a spot that you're consistent with the thermals. And the only way you're going to learn thermals, there's no book out there. There's no... And every mountain out there that I've been in creates its own thermals, creates its own storm patterns, creates its own thing. Like Alaska, you know, the Wrangles or the Brooks Range, things like that, those mountains are so big, they create their own weather. Well, in Colorado, Wyoming, these high-altitude stuff that you're doing, you got to be in that drainage. And the reason you're in that drainage with your backpack, walking in with a flashlight, is because you've been there before. Pay attention. So when you're in there in August and you pre-scouted it before season started, I mean, start looking at the when those flowers start blooming and that cotton starts going through the air uh, from the dandelions, even your own little puffer. Just pay attention to what time those thermals are happening. And like I say, the next drainage over from where, like if you bump those deer and they're going to another drainage, you got to learn those thermals all over again. That's the typical stuff, morning what the thermals do and the evenings what the thermals do in the midday. But they all create their own stuff. So the reason why you get close is because you've patterned that buck, you know his habits, because you've been scouting him. This is what 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 uh, Aaron alluded to earlier. The people that are really like, well, it's National Forest, who cares? Well, they're not the ones that bled. They're not the ones that spend this gas money. They're not the ones eating Mountain House. They're not the ones sleeping in a sleeping bag. Froze their ass off. Froze their ass off. My personal favorite. So that's what what we mean by bleeding it and earning it. And so when that opening day comes along, I already know his habits. I already know the mountain's habits regarding thermals. And so that's now putting, that's swaying the pelagium more of an even status. And you give me an even status, I'm going to be stalking you. And, and let's go into more of that because people ask, it's hard to type out when people ask, how are you successful every year? It's hard to type that out. But as we're talking about it, if you have a deer bedded, my spiel on this, if I'm close enough and that deer beds its first bed and it's prime stocking habitat and I can get in on it, that's the only time I'll personally try and kill it. Oh, absolutely. But I've I'm done going. The first bed. Yeah, I've done yeah. It. If I've got time, because with a with a recurve, I may not get that perfect opportunity. Again, meaning I can get right over the top of it and shoot it if I've got time. But if I don't have time, generally I can figure out where it's going to rebed because it's going to have to rebed in the shade if the sun's up. It, there ain't a whole lot of fucking shade up high. Mm-hmm. If you know where the, where it's going to be, and you know that the uh, of the elevation where the sun's coming up, you know it's rising in the east. You know where the trees are. If you need to reposition, and I see people screw this up all the time, fucking move to where that deer is probably going to rebed and get closer. Don't get too close, but meaning get closer to where you're not exposed. You may have an easier approach. You may only move 200 yards. You may only move 55. But if it cuts down movement and you being seen and all these other different issues you have on close stocks, move in that first bed where, I mean, this is my opinion. Do you do the same thing? Well, I I do a lot of the same. What I mean by I, I typically... And if I'm on top of the deer and he's done that first bed um, and I have an opportunity and I already know that the thermals are going to be good and have the wind in my face, I'm scooting down there, digging my heels into the ground with my socks, scooting my ass down there, getting close in there to get in a shot. I'm not, I mean, that's, that's rule number one. You got the opportunity, seize the moment. What I'm talking about as far as that first bed and the mistakes that I made in the past is I'm out there with a spotting scope. I'm out there with my binoculars. I'm looking at the drainage that's a mile away. That's two miles away. All of a sudden, I find that buck, 
and he's bedded down for the first time, I used to make the mistake like, shit, I got to get my ass over there. By the time I got over there, he's not in that bed no more. So as, as, as my experience, if this helps anybody out, stay and watch that buck. He's not going to stay in that bed. He's going to get up and move. So if it takes you two miles to get over there, you don't want to leave that buck after his first bed because by the time you get out of there and he gets out of your side of window and you get over there and you're looking across there, like, oh, shit, where'd he go? If you had stayed where you had your vantage point two miles ago, you would have known where he went. And it's a win-win. Even if it's a situation where um, you're getting there too late and now you're going to have to wait till evening to get him, okay, that goes in the whole part of the pre-scouting. That, that comes in the whole part of patterning this animal. You already know he's over there. Now, next time you look at him, you're not going to be two miles away. If you had a brain cell one, now you're going to spike out and you're going to be 1,000 yards away. So when he does it the next day, you're in his, you're, you're in his backyard. So... Everything with archery is patience, and and unfortunately we got the time and and make it work. I mean, it's uh, you, you seize the moment. Like a mile, two miles away, why would you want to glass from that same point the following day if you're already always over there? And that's kind of what I was getting at on on somewhat anyway, as far as repositioning. If you can move and keep eyes on that animal, and you know you're going to move to where he's going to bed or rebed, you're all you're doing is upping your opportunity. The other thing I look for now, and this is technology somewhat, is if it is a questionable stock in the morning and it's 30 mile an hour winds in the afternoon. I'm going to wait. The one thing I love now where I hated with a compound, I like the fucking wind now. Oh, it covers <laughs> the sound and movement. Sound I, and movement. I love wind. Yeah. And so Lander said this to me two years ago when I first picked up the, the recurve, and I didn't, it didn't click for whatever reason. He said, ah, we've got, you know, teens in the temperatures, and I've got a 40-mile-an-hour wind. It's a great day to bow hunt. I thought he was being a smartass. Well, he got eight yards from two deer that day. Well, now knowing what he's talking about, you got a super high wind, you got a biting cold, they don't like it on their ears or whatever, you got all these different things, they're going to plant and they're not going to want to move until absolutely possible. Hide your scent, hide your scent, hide your sound, hide your movement to where now I'm hoping for a high wind. Yeah. I mean, the last thing a deer or an elk or a sheep wants or a goat, anything, is wind. That, like Aaron just said, it's going to lock them down. Anybody with any hunting experience at all knows, like, shit, they're not going to be out. The wind's blowing too hard. Well, if you already know because of the days it wasn't blowing where this deer's been living and where he's been bedding and you haven't, he's just, it's not in a bow conducive spot. He's doing the same thing every day. You watch him for two and a half days, three days. He beds here. Then he beds here, eats over here, and he's not changing. He's, he's got a habit. He's a creature habit, and this is what works for him, and he feels safe. He's comfortable with his surroundings, but it's not a bull-conducive situation. Don't give up because like what Aaron's saying with that wind, it now the pendulum is 100% in your favor because every, every instinct he has as far as his senses for staying alive, his nose no longer works. His hearing no longer works. His eyes, as far as catching movement, because the branches are swaying back and forth, leaves are rustling, grass is moving. So every, all three senses he has is put down to minimal, like out of bullets if you're out there in the field. He don't have a whole lot to protect himself, so he's going to hide. And if you already know that hiding spot from already camping on him for two and a half, three days, uh, he's that, dead within that, reason. That, that's, that's when you should get him. That that Pray for wind. I mean, I, I've always kind of kept that as my own close little secret where everybody else is sleeping in because they heard the wind howling all night. Shit, that's my golden opportunity. Wait, that, that deer I shot at a few feet, that was because of the wind. And people ask, I'm like, a lot of shit fell into place. 
every 20, 30 mile an hour gust, I would take a step. And so by the time, the closer I got, I'm like, this deer has no idea. There's, I'm even within, you know, the, the zip code, right? And that 30 mile an hour wind and a constant 15, I could do, hell, I probably could have pulled a car in there. He just didn't know. And then exactly. that, that buck I killed in Alberta this year, um, same thing. That would have been a difficult stock because I don't know if you saw the terrain, but it was flat. I mean, there was nothing there. I came in from behind him. Um, he was facing, when you talk about common sense, if you didn't know better why he was facing the way he was facing, well, he was facing so because uh, of the wind to where it wasn't blowing straight in his face. When we looked at the hillside where he was bedded, it was close to getting winded. But when I came around, I thought, I'm going to have 20 yards of freedom to not get crushed by the wind fuck that was plenty i mean there's no way i would have got 16 yards from that buck because he's old as shit i mean he's super old um without heavy wind because one he was so focused on keeping his head one direction because it wasn't bugging his ears you know he had that happy spot where he was at and i could do whatever i wanted as far as noise goes otherwise there's no way in hell i would have you know if the wind wasn't blowing I don't know if I would have pulled that off where I had wind and that pretty much sealed the deal for me, which was good. I mean, you know, I'm learning shit all the time and I'm learning it more and more with the stick. And also with the with the wind, everybody's like 30 mile wind. I mean, if you're broadside to the wind, what's that arrow going to do and things like that? Well, go find out. Yeah, get closer. <laughs> because I have, you know, I got I live up in Cole Creek Canyon where we consistently have a lot of wind and I use that to my advantage. It's, it's not comfortable to shoot out there. Instead of winning a T-shirt, I'm in a coat, whatever, because the wind's just kind of a pain in the ass. But it's amazing. If your arrows are balanced right and and you're in that 15, 20-yard shot area, you can be broadside of the wind. Now, your arrows might want to, when you go pull them out, you can tell where the wind had kicked that fletching into the arrow away from the wind. I mean, you could tell it pushed it. But your broadhead still... Uh, at least with me and the poundage that I shoot and the balance that I have, my my where the where the field points going into the target is still the same spot if the wind wasn't blowing. Yep, it's going to whip, it's going to whip, but it's still it's still your point on. I mean the the front end of that arrow, and you got it weighted right. This is all balanced with your arrows. I mean people think they can go to Walmart and go down there and, uh, and these arrows are on sale. I'm going to go shoot these. These are the weight I'm shooting. There's a lot more science to it. I mean. Another thing, uh, kudos out to Rocky Mountain Specialty Gear and the way they will take anybody that walks through that door and make sure they got the correct arrow for the pounders they're shooting and their draw length. So if you got it balanced right, you got enough weight up front, weight up front is crucial. So when you go out there and practice that 30-mile-hour wind, broadside to it, and even head-on with a wind in your face, that does affect the arrow a little bit, but the, the, the you're still going to hit where you're aiming. I mean, the arrow might dance all the way there, but you're still going to hit where you're aiming. You're, you're shooting, what, 175 up front to 200 total? Uh, I'm shooting 275 up front. Two, okay, because so, you've got a 200-grain head and a 100-grain... I shoot the Palmer broadhead, which is 165, and i got 100 grains up front. Okay, gotcha. Um, so with... The, and that's pretty close to where I've been at, 230 to 300 up uh-huh. front, somewhere in there. I think people be amazed also at a farther shot that tail whipping will make a bigger difference because you're losing momentum. I'm talking my it? shots that that 15, 20 yard. Yeah. yeah, and the only reason why I bring that up is I zipped, and I shoot big five inch feathers. I zipped right through that deer. At not one time when I'm sub 20 is the wind a concern for accuracy is what mm-hmm. I'm getting at. Now back in the compound days, 80, yeah, fuck yeah, it's a huge concern. Oh, you drift no three feet. That's even with a bullet. Yeah, oh yeah. So when I'm in that sub twenty, when I came over the top of the hill, I'm like, oh he's 
22 yards. And me being a better shot at 30 than 20, I kind of looked back and I'm like, kind of swung backwards. My, yeah, and I couldn't. I'm like, I'm going to get closer. And yeah. every gust, step, and the way the wind was hitting, it, it would have been funny for you to be there because I was fucking pushing it. Dude. I mean, when it was hitting me, I'm like, if this wind switches a couple degrees, he's going to blow out. But I had so much wind, I didn't need to be super sneaky. I took three big steps, one at a time, almost like screwing around, like, you know, checking your pace or whatever. And then I got to that certain point and, and I shot and I killed him. But with that, if you change a few different things in that scenario... I wouldn't have been able to go on that stock or probably wouldn't have gone on that stock because I probably wouldn't have been able to get that close because right. that wind helps. And, and as we're talking about all this, like you're talking about thermals. The other thing I look at is what's happening that night because, you know, the, the old saying, the sun rises, the, the, the thermals or the wind rises. Follow it, yeah. Well, it's just because of the heat and, and it rises. Okay, well, if you've got decreasing temperatures early in the day, a storm's coming in, things like that, these are all variables I look at when I can look at the weather to what I'm going to do that. That that could change my idea of what I'm going to stock mm-hmm. that night, especially when you talk about cold, the thermals, the wind, um, especially if it starts to snow. I've had way better luck stocking mule deer in shitty, windy, snowy conditions. They don't like to get out of their damn bed unless they have to. They're not the only animal. Exactly. And so I don't say the worse the conditions, the better it is to go. But sometimes as a stick bow guy, I'm praying for a little bit shittier conditions because it keeps the deer in their bed and it takes away all their senses. And and it's helped me a lot doing that. A question I have for you that's kind of off the the shoot here, with you being, you know, such a well-known compound guy and being very good at long ranges and stuff, now that you've gone into the traditional end of it and shooting a recurve, what, as far as the people that kind of, I mean, you have a huge following under, that's no secret, and what do you tell the guys that um, are following you in, in regards to why they have now want to follow in your footsteps is a, more of a challenge. Is it uh, getting closer? Is it, um, um, what, what, how do you think you swayed so many people to just go follow your direction? Uh, I would say one, that it can be done, you know, two, a meaning I've been able to successful. So it shows that you can be successful. Right. Two, I'm talk about the old crusties. I'm more like you of, I don't give a fuck what you're shooting. Come on in, right? Like yeah. you just, just go hunting. Just, yeah. yeah, go hunting. Um, you know, the next one would be that even though it may be more difficult, it's more rewarding, which is huge for me, and I'm an adrenaline junkie. Mm-hmm. And you know as good as anyone, there's very little adrenaline for me at 80 or 60 or 50 or with a compound. My adrenaline rush is so high, which I think it would be for other people, even on a doe at first with that stick, because I just wasn't that confident with it. I know that's probably funny, but even on does, I'd get wound up in the tree stand when they'd come in. It's not as bad now. You know, I'm calm. Mm-hmm. I, I try to relay those messages of, hey, you know, what do you think is going to be, what are you going to tell your kids about the time you were taking a poke and a hope at 80? Or the time that you snuck in and took a six-foot shot at a deer in its bed. And I, I just try to relay that message because, believe me, I was the asshole shooting. It's arguable what we're remembering correctly. My caribou is 120 to 130-something. We argue back and forth. Was that a cool, big-ass caribou? Yeah. If I had to do it over again, I would have rather shot it at 17 than 127, right? trying to relay that to people because of how the the industry is now and the long distance shooting and everything else that hey i'm not anti-compound at all i love compounds and i have any issue with them 
the personal satisfaction of shooting something sub 20 is greater than I ever thought it would be, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it does. I mean, like a lot of people or you know, I talk to people down at the archer shop. I go down there, you know, not as much as I would like, but I, I am down there quite a bit is people will say, uh, you know, yeah, I, I go, well, how would your season go last year? Oh, I, 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 I didn't score. Well, you told me that the year before that and the year before that. So you get a lot of that um, where you're just not as successful with a lot of the trad people, um, and they don't kill as many animals. I, I fortunately, knock on wood, have still been able to keep the freezer full. But it's because, you know, I've been doing it for a long time, but I've always been uncannily, I wouldn't, I don't want to, I've been You're a pretty some, fucking good hunter, man. Was, you can say I, it. I've been, been fortunate enough to be able to go find animals and get close and shoot them. And, um... I think a lot of stuff from from some of Aaron's um, prodigies that I've talked to in the past and down at the shop and that had, you know, put all this money into their compound bows and now they're, you know, following Aaron in regards to the traditional world is is now they're not killing as much stuff. Now they're about on that fringe of, man, I, I like to kill stuff and I just ain't getting it done with this trad bow um i'm going to go back to my compound and i'm not going to slow them down i mean i like to kill stuff too and if you're doing with your compound you can't do it with this but that i guess is just another um uh, attaboy towards the people that can make it work with the trad bow um aaron made that adjustment because he's a go-getter and he's 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 got a the luxury of being able to spend the time in the woods and so do i i mean thank god my guy my wife gives me an allowance to go hunting as much as i do <laughs> But for the guy that, that just uh, still has his two weeks vacation, he's up there doing it, man, don't don't give up. It's uh, it's it's it, even though you might only shoot one every third year or something like that. Once you get that one under your belt, especially if you've already killed him with your compound bow and you, you already got that halfway there. When you get all of a sudden you get that closer now, instead of one every third year, now you're going to get one every other year. And eventually you're going to be getting one every year. And the rewarding you're having out of that is uh, is what makes a traditional bow hunter. I don't want to pat on the back from anybody and say, holy shit, I looked at your picture album and you did that all with the recurve. I'm like, yeah, but for the way I hunt, like I've said this before, it's I that's my best advantage. Have I Could I have killed bigger stuff? I would have to say... I'd be lying to the public out there if I said no. I mean, I've been my my buck of my dreams, my bull of my dreams. I've had out there 50, 60 yards, and I couldn't get no closer. If I had a compound bow, I mean, that's like shooting 20 yards for me with my recurve. So I've seen guys ruin arrows at 60 yards. I mean, that I could have killed that animal. And do I have any regrets? No, because I still harvest an animal that year. I still. Uh, I'm more into that, like Aaron would say, the rewardingness and why people think like, God, I tried it for four years, had to back, go back to my compound. I just couldn't make it happen. Or the guy, they just, they, you get a lot more respect, I guess. It's because you know more. So people that know more should get more respect. Well, and I think, too, that um, one of the things I'll say for you and me, and this isn't patting ourselves on the back, I obviously have a ton of time in the woods, but I and this is so, so people understand, because you'll hear, especially like haters occasionally, will be like, well, of course he's going to kill that much. He gets to go on all these hunts. But I'm successful on every hunt, meaning if I only had to get to go on one hunt, I would have been successful on that hunt, if that makes any sense. So if it you does. take it, it to totally a does. construction worker mentality like I was, if I went on three hunts, I'd be able to shoot three animals. In this case, I get to go on 20 hunts, and I shoot 20 animals. What I think people probably get frustrated with is when the animal's at 50 
and they could have shot it. You know what I mean? Or from talking right, with right. people. I can understand where you're getting at with that. And, and if you haven't shot a lot, I can really understand it. But if you've been successful with the compound, I can promise you once you do put the arrow through the animal, you're probably going to be addicted forever. It just doesn't go away. It's been that way for me. And I went back to a compound and I, you know, it's like having, you know, I Whatever. forgot that. I forgot I, that. You went compound and recurve, then back to compound, I, then back to recurve. Yeah, and, and and what it showed me in 17 is it just wasn't fun. I mean, it just, I shot a goat and, some, I don't know, several, I don't know, I shot a bunch of shit, and I just, when I filmed Broderick shooting that, that uh, I don't know what it was, 5x7, whatever, crazy-ass mule deer with his longbow, I had shot the most epic stock, epic shot that you could have designed with a compound, I didn't really get that excited. I filmed Broderick, and I've got a full-on, you know, erection you could hang a towel over for, for trad bows. And I'm like, and Broderick said, I could tell right then you were going back. I'm like, well, if I'm this excited from him shooting, and I didn't really give a shit that I shot mine, I need to pick up a stick bow again. And, I, and that's what I did. And I tried to explain that to guys. I understand where you're coming from. It will be more difficult. But like anything, the moment you bench press 400 pounds, if that's your goal, it's going to take a lot of work to get there. Eventually, when you do it, you'll know you've earned it and you've put the hard work into it. It's going to be the same thing with a stick. If you're in the gym and you get to 325, do you just give up? Say, fuck it, I got close. Or do you keep going? It's the same kind of thing with a with a stick. It may take you a little longer, but once you get it figured out, the concept success will continue, I, I think, if people stick with it. And it's also just an excess, not to sugarcoat this anymore, is just to get close. You might not have let go of the string. You might not have got a shot. You might have missed. But to say you were inside of 15 yards from a mature buck, not your two-point, your three-point, well, that's a challenge too, and that's rewarding, especially starting out. But when you can get that close, where you get that look from that animal like, how the hell did you ever get this close to me? Um, it's, it's just a different feeling. So even though you might not have walked out of the woods with meat in your backpack, you you still got something to be proud of. No, for sure. And there's nothing, yeah, I tell guys all the time, if you got a chance to shoot a doe your first time with a stick, shoot a doe. If you don't want to shoot a doe, don't shoot a doe. If you want to shoot a raghorn, shoot a raghorn or a cow. Get, obviously, some experience under your belt, and as that goes up, obviously, you're probably going to go older age classes and everything else, but... The fact that you're out there, you're trying, you're working at it, and as I'm getting older, I'm changing, um, I just don't get any satisfaction out of hearing a story of a guy shooting something at 80 to 100 yards. And as, as I'm saying that, people, I'm the dickhead that was doing it. I just think it's cooler to get closer rather than you know shoot something farther away because you had to earn getting closer hunting-wise. The only thing you had to earn shooting something farther away is practice shooting your bow. You know, it wasn't as much hunting. Oh, um, well, the trad bow, you spend 100% of your time hunting and and not as much shooting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's no shit. Uh, and that's and, and the mistake a lot of people do, and you can't really do with compounds a whole lot, is is stump shoot. Um, and because it just, they, they, the arrows shoot so dang fast and they just splinter the heck out of carbon. It's hard to find a compound bow that you can go stump shooting with. And, but with, that's what makes a trad bow so fun is I'm shooting pine cones. I'm shooting anthills. I'm shooting squirrels, grouse. I'm doing all kinds of stuff. Cause I think the biggest mistake a lot of hunters make is they practice all, all preseason, all summer, all spring, all summer. They're down there. They're just ruining arrows and they never shoot another arrow all hunting season unless there's an animal in front of them. 
don't make that mistake. Stay in tune with it the whole time. Take those steep shots where you're shooting like out of a ladder. Take a, those uh, shooting straight uphill. Take those other shots where you, you just you kind of simulate and fun stuff. I mean, Laura thinks I have. I'm still like a little ten year old for a lot of reasons. But when she goes stumping, stump something, stump shooting with me, I'm like, oh stop. She's like, what? Like, There's an elk right there, bedded down. She's looking. I go, man, I center punched that sucker. She goes, what? I'm just shooting at a stump. Well, she already knows I'd be poaching if I was really out there. <laughs> but I just got this imagination of, of just uh, what is behind there and what I had to shoot to get to it. And, uh, and you know, there was, you know, I had like a two-inch window all the way 15 yards to a target. I couldn't arc the arrow in. I couldn't. I mean, I had, there was a little bit of science the way I had to let go of that string to make sure I didn't touch any debris all the way there. And I practice a lot of stuff like that. And there's nothing funner than just even taking a tennis ball in your backyard, hit it with a judo point. It's going to bounce another 10 yards don't get close to it again shoot it from where you're standing and another 10 yards so that way you're not focused in on just 20 yards just 10 yards that ball's moving every time and keep shooting until you hit it it's going to no matter what it's going to take off that ball's going to move shoot it again shoot it again you get down to where you're shooting that tennis ball and hit it every time with a judo point from 10 15 20 25 yards um i wouldn't want to be standing in front of you when an animal's when you're shooting when you're hunting yeah to add to that a little um guy amy come with me with stump shooting wise just because she she's actually i think she's going to go buy a recurve we're going to get her one today but i just had the bow and she was watching and when we were walking around the woods i would do the same thing i would just say this is about as realistic as a hunting situation as you're going to get and i'd explain it to her and then i'd shoot stumps or pine whatever the hell was laying on the ground and then we'd get in the cliffs and i'd be like the same thing i'd be like this is where well, I was talking about the bino harness, talking about the the excess straps going mm-hmm. in front of you, which totally fucks everything Especially up. Especially when you're leaning forward. forward. Yeah. Oh yeah, totally. And I was explaining to her that, and I'm like, look, this shot right here is about as real as you're going to get because of these reasons. This is where the deer would bed. This is as close as I can get. You can't get that. You can't do that with a compound. You can't. You can't. You'll blow, break all your arrows with a stick bow. You can fling arrows all That's the time. That's what I mean. It's, yeah. it's fun all the time. It's fun during season. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's fun. So when you have that week's vacation or your two weeks vacation, you've been going down to the archery shop every day to shoot all the way up tail season. You had a lot of fun doing it. So with a traditional equipment, you can still keep having fun through your season, through your week's vacation. When you're back in there, you're just shooting pine cones, you're shooting ant hills and stuff like that. So you're still shooting during the heat of the day when nothing's going on. You couldn't find nothing. You're just you're still keeping in tune with uh, with your bow. Yeah, no, no, for for sure. Well, man, we should probably wrap this up. You got to go. You, I think you got an appointment, and I've had several people walk into my office. Yep. So, well, I appreciate you coming back in. Yeah, we'll have to do it again. We still, uh, we we actually got to talk about some hunting experiences. Um, and I'm I'd, I'm I'm love to be a guest anytime you hit a lull and you want to get me back. I'm I, it's, this is always fun. No, for sure, man. I appreciate everything. So, all right, well. Uh, Actually, you don't have any social media, do you? No. All right, people, you can't tune in on uh, anything Harold does. Cause My daughter says she's going to try to set me up with something. She <laughs> sent me up with a Facebook about two years ago, and I, I yeah, I just, uh, ever since my injury, um, I, I wasn't real smart to begin with. <laughs> <laughs> but it was uh, this has just made it that much worse. Where I just ain't, I can't comprehend stuff. And uh, I, I that's real quick here. We did go to the show. I did go to the show within Utah, and I got invited to do a few different things. And um, um, it is humbling that a few people recognize your face and 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 some of your accomplishments. And but I'd say I have to say, ninety percent of it. Well, I would say. 
a lot of it is because the clients I've guided over 34 years recognize me and they see me and they say, hey, Harold, do you remember me? You know, you guided me on my doll sheep hunt, you know, this, that, and the other. That's really, really cool. But I'd say a majority over the last couple of years is because I've been doing these podcasts with Aaron. It's, uh, hey, man, I heard you on the podcast. You know, that's really, really cool. But they, they go, who the fuck are you? Yeah. <laughs> Well, because you don't have a social media <laughs> so, account. <laughs> so, I mean, it it, uh, it it is pretty cool. I mean, I got a I got a free pair of boots out of it, and I was up there at the show. Um, I was uh, uh, walking along, and a guy kind of saw me and saw what I was doing with a couple other uh, things I was doing there with with friends of mine. He was like, "Man, I heard you mention Scarpa." Um, yeah, and that's the kind of a boot you like to go to. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, it's it's who I've been recommending and whatnot. But now they've been kind of hurting my feet, and they kind of going towards a narrower thing for ice climbing. So I'm not gonna, I'm not using their stuff no more. He goes, try this out, and um, and they are an awesome boot. Uh, they're, I mean, I I can't imagine that this is not gonna be my go-to boot now. Uh, La Sportiva was another one that was I was on their pro deal till they found out I was a hunter. Um, they kicked me off their pro site because I was not only a hunter. They're they're against law enforcement, they're against military, and they're against hunting guides. So if they find that out and you're on their pro form where you get 40% off or whatever, because I just sent them my guide license and my driver's license, and they they got me on there. I was all good to go. But then when they sent me the email that says Alaska Archery Guide at gmail.com, they like archery guide. They kicked me out. I can I can I can't buy. La Sportiva. So, yeah, they're on my shit list. Let's put it that way. That's funny. But but it is cool Cool. being with Aaron, getting on the social media. I mean, this podcast stuff. I mean, people recognizing my name, not necessarily my face, and uh, shaking my hand, saying, I really like what you're doing for the state of Colorado, trying to keep the DOW on their toes. And uh, so I have to thank Aaron for that. And then Aaron for bringing so much more people into the traditional world. He has quite an influence. It's going good, man. I hope more people try it. So, all All right. right. I'm good to go. All right, man. Thanks.